0: Welcome to the program Got a big name guest Won a couple of slams, yeah Just beating all the best Want you to know that this is not a safe space. His opinions are out right there, right in your face. It's your home, Creek. Johan's here now What the hell are we planning here? The At The Net talk show It's Johan Creek
1: The great game. You're listening to season one, episode 15 of At the Net Podcast with AJC and CB1, who are talking the great game of tennis as it seems, seems to us. us. Plus, thanks go out to our good amigos at Tex-Mex Productions. That would be Darian D. Mac McBrayer and Dave the Brain DeLeo from back of the house who are making us uh, sound like real people. We're real people tonight, aren't we, We Agent? are real,
2: and the Facebook folks know that, too. They,
1: they can see us also, too. Yes, we're right. on. Uh, if you want to follow us, uh, Johan, right now, you can watch us on Facebook Live. There's some people already chiming in on us. And then uh, lastly, be sure to check out our good work on SoundCloud, Fireside, Spotify, iTunes, Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, all the important communication sites that you kids find popular. And if you're a female, sorry guys, and would like to read the opening intro for an At The Net podcast and be an At The Net girl, let us know as we are always looking for new female voices to do the intro, even in a foreign language. Yes. AJ? We have a couple in Czech, German, and we've got an Africana, right? Yes, we do. Yeah. Yes, we're, we're global. Yeah, she we're, is. we're big time. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're spe- speaking of global and being big time, tonight we are At The Net with a True South African legend, actually an American legend now.
2: American legend, South African Davis Cup hero, won a slam twice. Two slams, Australian Open champ.
1: Yes, that would be Johan Creek. Johan. That from wherever you are, uh, where are you from uh, tonight? You're from Florida, is that correct? Yes, I'm in Palm Beach Gardens. How you doing, guys? Well, Beautiful. Thank, thank you, Johan. Thank you, thank you. We, we certainly appreciate uh, you being with us. Uh, not only are you a fantastic uh, tennis player, you know, won a couple Australian Opens. That's, we're going to talk about some of that stuff. Uh, reached uh, the semis at the French and the U.S. Open. A little
2: quarterfinal action at Wimbledon, uh, you know. Gotcha. La- last eight and last four, most slams, but last eight club at Wimbledon. It's a big deal. That's a big deal. Big yeah. deal.
1: Got a lot of victories over, you know, all the greats, uh, Andre, Jimmy, you know, uh, Johnny Mack, uh, Guillermo Vilas, uh, Edberg, Chang, Vitas Gerolitis, and Bjorn Borg. I mean, that's that's a pretty impressive resume that's right a there. a great group. Yeah, And uh, probably one of the most things that uh, we were looking at, uh, you became a naturalized citizen in 1982, a long time ago actually. So yeah. you know, we appreciate uh, you joining us here at the net tonight. So.
3: Absolutely, my pleasure. My pleasure, guys. Thanks. Oh, oh,
1: then lastly, also too, you f- you founded a uh, foundation called the Global Water Foundation, a nonprofit organization dedicated to delivering clean water to the world's neediest communities. So, hey, not only a good tennis player, but a humanitarian as well.
2: Philanthropic, love, love hearing that.
1: Yeah. So, we'll, hey, go we'll wh-
2: Where are some of those communities that you've uh, been able to serve with the water, the clean water? Yeah,
3: I, uh, it was kind of one of those weird things, situations, I never was uh, aware of the water situation in the world, especially in Africa, Yeah. until 2005 when I was in South Africa and a very wealthy friend of mine from Johannesburg by the name of Bertie Lubner, who's since passed away unfortunately, oh, but, sorry. Uh,
4: he invited me to come to the World Economic Forum, he was one of the speakers, because he was uh, building his factories and his glass company was in 24 countries at that time.
3: And so he said, listen, why don't you come to Cape Town? I'm in Johannesburg with him. And he says, why don't you come to Cape Town and, uh, you know, uh, just pay attention and look at some of these uh, seminars that I'm part of. And so I went there, and my eyes just about popped out of my head and my ears listening to all these wonderful people talk about water and how important it is. I mean, we can't drink oil. We can do lots of things with oil, but it doesn't sustain us life-wise. So water is a massively important uh, uh, commodity, so uh, I, I was listening to that, so that made me think about doing something, this was in 2005, and then in 2007, mm. I started my water foundation, and uh, we've done just a few small things, I really did it sort of on a, on, a, on a fly a little bit, a very smart attorney in Naples, Florida, helped me put up my foundation, it's still active here in Florida, and uh, we did some projects in, uh, in uh, funny enough, in, we did one in Uganda for a school Way outside of uh, out of uh, outside of the main city, and then uh, we did a couple of events in South Africa with with schools, and then we did uh, uh, we did a, a water pipeline through a connection with uh, a tennis guy from Naples. Oh, good! And we did a pipeline in Monte Ecuador. Interesting. So, yeah. but what I did with the Naples thing was kind of funny. I had all my old Wilson, my old my old Rosignol rackets that uh-huh. was collecting dust in the in the garage, and I made boxes up and I sold. Uh, uh, I sold the 25th anniversary of my uh, my winning year showing open. I sold 25 boxes for two grand each,
4: and we two made minutes.
3: we raised. Fifty thousand dollars from those old rackets, and we did a pipeline out of that.
2: So Man, where was home. I? I love those rackets. Yeah. Was that the? <laughs> was that before the F two hundred? Right, this was the thinner ones. Yeah,
3: yeah, this was the metal ones that the Rossignol yeah. made. That was the oh, R forty yeah. before yeah. it became the Yonex racket.
2: Yeah. I have some F two hundreds, and one of them is actually Velanders. And I would love to have uh, bought one of your boxes of, uh, of oldies. That Would have been awesome. <laughs> I've got our Strato yeah, it, too. We were
3: very lucky; people bought it, and uh, you know, it was put uh, put to use for a very good
2: cause. Well done, buddy. That's awesome.
1: So, so speaking of which, do you want to give a quick plug? Where, where can people find the Global Water? foundation if they if they're listening and they want to help uh, be a part of the program give us uh, the you web know, address all that i haven't done things with the water
4: foundation in a couple of years and uh-huh. we're completely redoing
3: the the, the website
4: and oh, all that as we
3: speak okay so we're gonna we're gonna ramp it up by uh, 2020 we're gonna start doing some more projects okay. well we'll we'll keep in touch and yes.
2: we'll, you know if you're a friend of the show and a guest on the podcast we'll always plug your stuff you that'd be great yeah
3: uh, absolutely. No, I
2: appreciate yeah. it. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Let, let, let's switch gears to a, a texted in question. And I must admit, this is a close friend of mine who is a teammate, a very temperamental, uh, very talented, curly haired lefty player. Um, big McEnroe fan, as you can probably surmise. His name is Jimmy Campbell. He's a former teammate of mine. And his question, when I told him that we'd, we've booked the great Johan Creek on the show, he said, uh, Johan Creek, awesome. You have to ask him about the time he um, he was about to beat the shit out of McEnroe <laughs> on the court, and right after the match. So you got to tell us that story, Johan. <laughs> well, there were a lot of people that were af- after that were after Mac at some point in their career. <laughs> uh, you. We, you... We, 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 we luckily never got to blows because it, was,
1: it would have, wouldn't have been pretty. But. I thought he was the <laughs> same. You know,
3: I mean, obviously it's, it's funny. My uh, my uh, my career started with John. Yeah. In a funny
4: way because I didn't know who he was at the time. He was already uh, a well-established
3: tennis player in 1978. I think he had started in '77. Yeah. I just started in '78. He I'm didn't tell you.
1: He didn't tell you who he was. Younger
3: than me. <laughs> So uh, I ended up. um, This is a funny story. Uh, I only found out out recently. But um, as
4: I started this, 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 the watch circuit in Florida, which was a five
3: or six week uh, series, in February of seventy-eight, I um, I ended up winning the fourth one in Hialeah. Made fifteen hundred bucks, and that made me say, "Hey, I can stay for another circuit." So I so I played the Southern Spring Circuit, which is in the Carolinas. Mm-hmm. and did really well in that one and i made some more money and i said well i can continue with my visa b1 b2 visa i will just continue and play these small twenty five thousand dollar american express tournaments uh-huh. in uh, new jersey so unbeknownst to me i'm playing peter rennert in the
2: finals of one of them oh. local I, new jersey guy yeah. right yeah i couldn't remember where i played him either in deal new jersey or somewhere livingston or south orange or something or one of the I'm oranges leaving. yeah i remember that tournament So I ended
3: up playing Peter Renner. And guess who drove down to come
2: and watch him play? Johnny Mack. Drove down from Queens, yeah.
3: Yeah, so I had no idea who he was. I didn't know who Peter Renner was, but I I spanked Renner badly. And uh, so I ended up winning the second uh, tournament as well. I beat Matt Mitchell, who won the Yeah, Uh, I beat Matt in the finals. And then uh, I ended up uh, continuing that summer. (laughs) And then I... um, The following uh, number of months, I played John McEnroe in the finals of the United Technologies Open
4: in Hartford, Connecticut, mm-hmm.
3: and uh, he beat me in straight sets. So that's uh, so that was his first ATP tournament.
1: Really? Yeah. That's yeah. So would, Were you playing with Rosinall rackets at that time, or what were you playing with?
3: Um, I don't think I was. Maybe I started to use the R forty at that point in time. I don't. I, I can't recall, but I think I was playing with a head. No, wait a second. I was not playing with Rosignol at that time. I only started with Rosignol like in 1980,
4: 81, somewhere in there. Uh-huh.
3: But I was playing with a with a head professional that metal uh, aluminum
2: racket. Yeah, with the, the, with the red in the middle. Redhead. Yeah, redhead. Red head. Yeah, we all
3: called oh, it the red head. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah that, that's that's a, did, so. That was your first encounter with John. How many more encounters do you recall having with John? Now, did you play him? You know, ten times more, 15, 20?
3: Geez, I think we played each other close to twenty times, but uh, you know, I probably had maybe, uh, you know, I think so, somewhere around seven or eight or nine wins over him.
2: Not bad, Johan. Did you...
3: that, at that point, yeah, no, I, I, you know, in tennis, there's a lot of, lot of, lot to be said about matchups, and um, I didn't match up well with Lendl, uh, but I matched up well with uh, Mac, and I matched up well with Jimmy, and. You know, some of the guys we didn't match up well. But, you know, just because you're top ten in the world doesn't mean you play the same guys over and over and over. Some, You know, what we see now with Nadal, Federer, Djokovic, I mean, they play each other 30-plus some time. All times. the time, yeah, yeah, yeah. Over their lifetime. But um, actually, uh, back when I played, I mean, I only played Villas. Can you believe it? I only played him once on the tour.
2: That's crazy, really? and you're about the same age, aren't you?
3: Yeah, he's a little bit older. Yeah, you're a little younger, yeah. We each other once, and I beat him in four and a half hours in the French Open in
2: 86. So you beat Vilas at the French, which was the tournament that that he would probably he win. win. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, that, that, that's a huge victory. Board, that's a large win, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's like beating Rafa
3: at uh,
2: the French. At the also. French, or like beating a, a Sampras at Wimbledon. That's correct, I can yeah.
3: only I can only say that that was by far... By far in my career, the hardest mental match I ever played
2: in my life. Must have been um, four, four or five sets, huh?
3: Well, I beat him 3 6 7 6 7 6 7 6. Uh,
2: Look at you. Remember the I exact was, score.
3: Yeah. I, I, I was down two set, two set points in the second set. I think if I have lost that tiebreaker, I probably was toast. But I ended up winning it somehow. Excellent. And then uh, I just ground him out. And I just, it was by far, by far the most. Mentally challenged because I was such an aggressive player, and to kind of keep my horses back all the time and wait for the chance to pounce, I still attacked him a lot. But yeah. uh, uh, it was uh, it was one of those uh, most difficult mental
4: matches. But um, I, uh, everybody have
3: matches where they you know, may not have won the tournament, but there are matches in your career where you say, you know what, I played the best ten as I possibly could have played in this one match, and that that's probably one of them that stood out.
2: I, I uh, probably a year later, I, I was a. Junior player, and I saw you at the U.S. Open and, um, you know, Flushing Meadow. It was one of the first two or three years when it moved to the hard courts and the new place, and I thought, man, he kind of has the build of an Eddie Dibbs or Harold Solomon, but he plays nothing like those guys.
1: No, not Like, at all.
2: Uh, he attacks and he uses his crazy speed offensively, not just, uh, you know, fetching the ball and looping it back. So, also, I saw you hit... This was probably doubles, but I saw you hit a one-handed backhand swing volley with violent topspin. I was like, "This guy is like righty Rod Laver with long hair. This guy is unbelievable." <laughs> so, could, could you, other than on clay courts, could you
1: slide on a hard court? Were you that fast? Because I'm always impressed by people who who can slide on a hard court. Did the, you ever do that?
2: Oh no, I slid all the time. This, this guy, really, this guy's oh, cal- guy calves. Again, right. Rod Laver. With a tan. On steroids. Yeah. All right. All right.
1: I mean, I just don't see how people yes, can get... You're putting me in the in in stratosphere of the God. You know? <laughs> Did you ever get to hit with Rod? Did you ever get the chance to, you know, obviously you know, you probably talk to him.
3: Honestly, I would have to say that, that he was my absolute, you know, every, every time when I was four, five, six years old in South Africa, I grew up in a very small farming community of sugar farmers and I uh, only had two cement courts and my parents would play on these cement courts and sometimes when it gets late at night they'd park the Volkswagen Beetle and other people <laughs> with their cars would park and they'd put the lights on and have us play on uh, and, uh, and the car lights because we didn't have
2: lights. And and this is obviously your the, the nascence of your love for tennis but I have a feeling it was also the birth of your love for Porsches, right? Well, <laughs> exactly, I mean <laughs>
3: um actually a guy fixed me up the first time I left South Africa I was 17 and I flew from Johannesburg to uh, to go and stay with my coach who had emigrated to Austria from uh-huh. South Africa his name is Ian Cunningham uh, he was a very famous coach in Johannesburg Pretoria area when I went to high school in Pretoria because I was the, sort of you know discovered tennis was my love but the rugby was also very good and high on my list but so anyway, I ended up in Austria, and a guy picks me up in a Volkswagen. Uh, sorry, in a Porsche 911 in a blinding snowstorm, and we are oh. driving, sliding sideways in the highway. And I'm like, I want one of these cars. Yeah. One
2: day. <laughs> <laughs> what, what year? <laughs> what what year?
3: See another day.
2: <laughs> what year 911 was that? It was uh,
3: 1976. It was that, a 911
2: T. Yeah, that's the Widowmaker. That's the one everybody talks about. Like, oh man, not good in the in the wet. Yeah, I know.
3: We were in a blinding snowstorm with the rear wheel, with the engine hanging off the uh, outer edge of the axle. Not exactly smart design, but (laughs) when we made it through and we lived to tell about it, I said, I'm going to have a 911 one day. And
2: and, and I'm sure, I know there, I mean, I I, uh, drive a similar car and the oversteer is not as extreme now, but you must love that oversteer feeling, huh?
3: It can make you pucker up if you're doing 90 miles an hour backwards. <laughs> I love it. So speaking of
1: starting out in tennis, yeah. So who, who kind of got you started? Was it your mom, dad, you know, or did you just say, hey, I, I want to play tennis? Or kind of what got you started in the game? Yeah, you know, I mean,
3: you grew up in those Afrikaner communities, and back in the day, in the 70s, I mean, rugby was everything. I mean, right. every kid. Every kid that could run wanted to be a springbok rugby player.
2: Actually, even and this this month right now, rugby is everything, right? You guys are in the exactly. World Cup I mean, final, right?
3: i semi watching uh, the semifinals now. Uh, you know, i won against Wales, but, you know, I was an uh, outside centre. I was number 12. I played uh, pretty high-level rugby for my school, and I was, you know, I just really was very, very fast. They always wanted to get me the ball, but then everybody
4: would tackle me because they would basically run me over because they didn't want me to get the ball. <laughs> <laughs> so... So anyway, one year, uh, it's funny, one year the French came down to play the Springboks, the Uh French team, and uh, they brought a 15 and under junior
3: squad, and I was supposed to play a tennis tournament the same weekend as this rugby tournament against these under 15 French guys. Uh So I was at the tennis courts, and I was going to go straight from the practice of tennis to go and practice rugby with my teammates from the high school, and then we looked at these 15 and under guys had full beards. (laughs)
4: <laughs> and I'm
3: like these guys missed their birth di- certificate <laughs> <They> <laughs> <don't> <laughs> so I, I got scared I got scared <laughs> and I didn't. I entered the tennis tournament <laughs> and I never played rugby again like
1: those <laughs> so crazy French guys <laughs>
2: <laughs> the, the, like like
1: completely derailed my rugby career.
2: And, and it was and thanks to a bunch of twenty two year old French guys with beards, <laughs> with, with, like with Benoit Pair right. of nineteen seventy five. <laughs> yes, we we can thank those guys for
3: making this guy a tennis player. Yeah.
4: yeah, either they drank too many,
3: too much champagne, or they had too much free cheese, but they had bloody full beards. They were just <laughs> Well they didn't bring their wife and kids
1: That, that, was, that might have given it away Yeah the, wife kids home, and the kids. <laughs>
3: oh,
2: 15 man. year olds
1: yeah. But anyway so you started playing tennis yeah. and, and then you found that You're probably pretty good Being fast doesn't hurt And then uh, probably Were you number one in South Africa within a few years
3: you know, it's funny, I, I didn't really know Kevin Curran that well. He grew up in Durban, which is about 180 miles south of us, and it's very much an English town, and uh-huh. tennis was very much uh, two-language two sports. The Afrikaners were not known to be really super good at tennis at that time. I mean, there were some, but mostly the South African tennis hierarchy was run by the, uh, English. by, uh, by the English-speaking community in, uh, in uh, Johannesburg, which at that time was called Southern Transvaal. Uh-huh. And the northern Toronto was the Pretoria guys, which are mostly Afrikaans speaking, and so we played a lot against these, British, uh, these uh, English-speaking South Africans that uh, lived in Johannesburg. So I got to know a lot of them, and that's where David Edgar. I mean, the Edgar's family—I knew uh, them. Oh, yeah, you
2: must yes, get, yeah.
4: Uh,
3: there was a lot of them. So, um, so I ended up uh, going to boarding school because they I have a high school in my town. And uh, they said, well, you know, he's a pretty good tennis player. He made me look too stupid. He can
4: learn English or something. (laughs) Uh, We'll put him in school. So they they brought me to this very, very high-level Afrikaans High School called Afrikaans Boys High, which is an Afrikaans' Afrikaans Wurzian School.
3: And that that nickname of that school is AFIS. AFIS. A-F-F-I-E-S. And it's a very prestigious school. Even if you go on YouTube now, they have their own websites. And it's really a great school. A lot of the prime ministers from... Yes, the year from that school, a lot of ministers and so forth. And in fact, one of my schoolmates is uh, is uh, is uh, uh, Courtney Mulder,
4: huh. and
3: uh, he's in Parliament now. He's a member of Parliament. Wow. He heads the uh, the Freedom Front.
2: Did a he's guy like uh, De Did a guy like him go to Afis or a school like yours?
3: Um, I don't know if he did, but I, maybe he went to Great College, which is in Bloemfontein, another, uh-huh. another province. Maybe that's another very, very yeah. famous school. And uh, I don't know if the clerk went to office, but he might have gone to uh, somewhere else. But, uh, or maybe even in Cape Town. and is a fantastic university, and Stellenbosch uh, University is also very. That's
2: where, involved. yeah, th- that's where so I, I went folks to high school, live. and then
3: that's really where my tennis blossomed, and that's where Ian Cunningham stepped in and sort of became my second dad because my dad was a farmer, oh. and uh, my mom was a you know house pro, and she had you know four kids to deal with, and I was in boarding school, and the other three were younger than me, my sister, and then two younger brothers. And they ended up uh, having to go to other schools because they were not going to go to office because that was why I was there was for my tennis. Uh So I was probably top three in each age group in South Africa and then uh, didn't run into Kevin Curran very often, unfortunately, but uh, we got to know each other when we were like 16, 17. And uh, I played a lot against the Southern Transvaal kids that were really good players. Um, uh, Paul Avis, David Crichton, uh, there was a lot of guys that were really good tennis players that tried to make it on a tour. You know, somehow, uh, you know, I sort of popped out and uh, you know came to the States after I left Europe. I came to the States in '78 and really uh, had $200 in my in my wallet and uh, and a duffel bag with four rackets and a couple of pairs of shoes and and I just hit the road and then I didn't know what the hell I was going to do. The first two weeks actually in my satellite tour when I started in Florida, I didn't even qualify for the tournaments. One was in Vero Beach, the other one was in Lakeland uh central florida and i actually lost in the qualifying in both
4: and uh, i thought i suck i'm gonna go back and And, uh but i was always a very hard-headed kid i I just refused to give up and um, refused to uh, always admit that i was not gonna make it but
3: um so um you know he choked and uh saved money and ate at mcdonald's a lot and uh, ended up um, kept going and going and then i got to the summer and uh, I was—I remember—I lost first round in Stowe Vermont, indoors, to Tom and He spanked me, and uh, I'm like, I—you know—I'm
4: better than the guys in the satellites. But yeah. The guy in—you uh,
3: know—here I'm playing the pros. You know, these guys are top twenty in the world, top thirty. Connors was playing Stowe at the time, and uh, you know, I just—I uh, I, I just thought, well, maybe there's a way that I can get better, you know. And I just kept playing and playing and. Then I lost to Macker in the finals, and then I got to the qualifying for the U.S. Open. I was I was ranked, you know, in the beginning of the year, when I arrived in the States, I was ranked like 860 in February. By the time I, August ran around for the qualifying, I was ranked like 275. And uh, I ended up qualifying for the U.S. Open and got to the quarterfinals, and the rest is history. So
2: awesome.
1: Did your parents, what were they saying, like, Johan, uh, come on home? Or did they say, no, follow your dreams? Were they encouraging, or were they more kind of like, uh, yeah, I don't know about this tennis deal. Come on home and you know work on the farm with, with the family.
3: No, actually, you know, um, I was just, uh, I never even, uh, they never really said, listen, come home. Um, I remember one time in England uh, before 78 when I came to the States, I had 50 cents left. That was it.
1: 50 cents, not a dollar. <laughs> I
3: had a, a 50 pence, like a hexagonal coin. Uh-huh in my in my pants and that was the last bit of money i had and I that's
2: made pressure a that's pressure i
3: made a collectible to south africa and i was like i hope i don't drop the call because i don't know what to do after this
4: yeah there's the other my 50 mom,
3: somehow she she like western union me like 50 pounds or something and kept going and so my mom always knew i i was a tough kid and you know she was sort of my uh, my super supporter uh, I'll never forget that she was just an incredible woman for us and for myself and for our family and my dad my dad farmed out of a wheelchair for 27 years he had a farm accident oh, wow. when
4: i was oh, wow. eight
3: years old and anyway it's a long story but yeah um yeah so uh, i kept going and then by the time i got to the quarterfinals the us open you know suddenly i have suits looking at me saying hey we want to manage you i don't even know what the hell they're
4: talking about
3: <laughs> you know we, we want to manage you what, what are you going to manage I <laughs> yeah. talk about... i'm an athlete yeah i remember, yeah, I'm bag. I remember walking behind um, Vidas getting to, to the slaughterhouse on 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 Louis uh, um, Armstrong Stadium back then was the only big stadium there, and um, he's walking between two New York State troopers, and I'm like a little lamb following <laughs> behind, going to the slaughterhouse,
4: <laughs> <of> Armstrong
3: Stadium. <laughs> And he absolutely destroyed me, like two one and two or something. Oh. And uh, that was the best lesson I could have ever had was to say, okay, this is how it's all about. You gotta be absolutely bloody ruthless. Yeah. And that was one of the best lessons I ever had.
2: And that was '79, I assume, the year Vitas kept going to the final and lost to Johnny, right? Yeah, I know
3: that was '78. '78. Oh, this, this is a funny story. I lost to Vitas Galatis in '78, and I lost him in '79. But '79. What I, was thinking. Um, I, I lost him in four sets, and was... I, I, I remember it was a really tough match. And then um, six months later, I said, listen, this guy's never going to beat me to the net again. Oh. And I beat him in Milan, Italy, and indoors, and I never lost him after that. And you're
2: both ridiculously quick at the net and great volleyers. You and...
3: I got a funny story for you. So yeah, we played in Philadelphia, and uh, the semifinals, I'm playing Vetus, and Connors is playing Seaback. And uh, the two courts were in the Omni in in Philadelphia at that time. They they had the two courts right next to each other. So I would angle a ball over the net, corner, drop, shot, and Vitas would run all the way into Jimmy's court while he's playing. He was getting really pissed. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Jimmy was.
3: Jimmy, yeah. Yeah. Jimmy did, you know, nobody upstages him. So, you know... Vidas and I are running into the stands. I mean, the people are going nuts because we are just playing an unbelievable match. These two guys are trying to run each other into the ground. And feedback is this typical, you know, slick little Polish guy. Yeah, uh,
2: feedback he's with carving, that slice. He's
3: carving Jimmy up, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so it was the funniest thing. Jimmy finally just sat down and said, I can't believe with these idiots next to me. And uh, so uh, they, let us play, they let us finish.
2: <laughs> they let you finish? Put their match on hold. Yeah,
3: he says, I can't play with
2: these guys. I can't play with them. That's hilarious. Off my
1: court. That's funny that two matches were going simultaneously yeah, yeah. at the same time. Yeah, that's no, no it will never happen. Never happen. That's never, what I was yeah. just thinking I could just imagine yeah. that that they just were yeah. You guys were running side by side to, next to each other and that's, that's
2: I mean hilarious. it happens in like not even a challenger it happens mm. in no. futures now. Like ITF kind of yeah. Yeah. That yeah. uh, was a very different time. That's hilarious. Uh who won that match? Feeback or Jimmy?
3: I think Jimmy edged, edged them out and then Jimmy okay. won the tournament. I think uh, Vitas beat me there and then uh, that was still early days for me when I played him in Philly. It was the second mm-hmm. year or something. I was on the tour.
4: Mm-hmm. And,
3: uh, and then after that, I played him in Milan and then that was it. I, I never lost him after that match. Yeah, it looks
1: like you got him at, at a final at the Monterey, uh, Mexico.
3: Mexico, yeah. on, on carpet. Altitude, that, yeah. was, that was one of my finest tennis matches ever. I mean, I played brilliant tennis against him. I mean... And uh, then I lost to Connors one year, and then I won it the other year. I mean, I won it the first year, and then lost the finals to Connors. But I had Connors on the ropes. He gave me a bad call in a tiebreaker to to win the match. Really, I was so mad. I was so mad at them that I didn't
1: go out to get my trophy. They find me so
3: much money. Really? <laughs> they go, find you. Oh, <laughs> I was so pissed. I didn't say screw you. Why should I go and shake your hand? You completely ripped me off,
1: Jimmy. You <laughs> had a pretty good 81, looks like 81, 82. You really started hitting your stride really in the early 80s, didn't you? Yeah. It looks like yeah. that... Uh, uh, 81, 82, 83, 84. You were making finals. You were making, you were making a little bit more than
2: 50 cents. Yeah, you know? <laughs> he, he was making the big money. Yeah, Started getting a Porsche. Yeah, I
3: never want to go down to the 50 cent
2: hexagonal point. <laughs> <laughs> the hexagonal. The hex. Hey, uh, tell us about your first final. We've got a future guest, Ricky Meyer, uh, from uh, Long Island, New York, and he played at University of Pennsylvania, I- Ivy League school. He's still very involved with the, with the college team, but uh, he told me... Uh, about his first final. And it led to a conversation about you, Johan, that, uh, he was the highest ranked after two or three, or maybe it was the fourth round of qualies. And he got in as a lucky loser to Sarasota. And, uh, he said it was your first final in his. You want to, can you tell us a little bit about that, that week?
4: Yeah, I was in
3: Sarasota, Florida, and um, I got to the finals. I beat Nastasi in the semis. Unbelievable. Or no, Orantes or somebody. I'm trying to think if it was Nastasi or did the Vikings I
2: I think he said it was Orantes.
3: So he beat Orantes or I did?
2: Ah. I think he beat Nasty, and you beat Orantes, who had won. Gotcha, that's, yeah.
3: that's very true. Yeah. yeah, I think he had the harder semi. He beat he beat
2: Nastasi, which is never easy to play. That idiot. unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> but, um,
3: anyway, so I played uh, Orantes there, and I got to the finals, and I'm playing Ricky Maya, and I never, I've never met Ricky, so uh-huh. I had, you know, this is <laughs> the funny story. Very few people know about this. But anyway, so this is my first final, and my first am I just going to probably try and win my first tournament and I'm playing Ricky and I, um, I I'm at a uh, I'm at a some sort of a steakhouse it was either a Texas Longhorn or some steakhouse uh-huh. thinking you know I gotta eat steak before I gotta go play my match you know I gotta slay this cow
1: yeah it's and and you're moving up so from McDonald's I mean, now to the steakhouse
3: massive T-bone steak and I bit into a piece of bone Ooh. break my molar in half at like 9 o'clock at night on a Saturday and my tooth is hurting me so badly. And I'm like, how am I going to play this match? I'm in a severe toothache. And the next morning, I just took some uh, some, some painkillers. And I ended up taking this uh, South African drug called Disprin, which is like a, a, a you know, like a painkiller. And I, I crushed it up and I stuck it into my tooth. Interesting. And I numbed, I numbed my jaw. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> and I won the
2: tournament with a broken tooth. You're it's like uh, you're like the Bill Cosby uh, dentist routine, and you're winning a tour tournament, a tour final.
3: Yeah, uh, it's, it's insane.
2: Incredible All the stuff. That I, I can't wait to tell Ricky because I don't think he knows about this that, uh, this no, ground up painkiller. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell Ricky in a week or two. Yeah. So, so, so these days now, are you are you teaching
1: tennis down in Naples in case that uh, anybody was is no, down in the area? I, uh, like, you
3: know, I left uh, Naples. Um, I've been uh, out of Naples in 2007. Uh, in Palm Beach, Palm Beach, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, Palm I, Beach. I started my tennis academy yeah. business in, uh, in Sarasota, and then we were going to build a $300 million sports complex myself wow. and two other partners. And
1: 300 million. We got it
3: approved. Mm. It was an unbelievable project. Uh, it really was going to be uh, the biggest sports academy in the world. And uh, we had some amazing people that wanted to be part of it, You know, including Yao Ming. Uh, for basketball yeah, and we had the involved and I mean, it was a big deal and we ended up uh, you know the world economy collapsed on us six months later so um, we didn't pull the trigger so I've been uh, you know doing my small academy businesses here in Florida I was in North Carolina for a while I was in Virginia for a while my wife is a Hokie she's a Polish born American via Germany speaks many languages very smart gal got her degree she uh, was the she got her undergraduate degree from virginia tech she played d1 tennis there for them she's the second most winningest player in the history of their tennis teams
2: virginia tech history
3: to this day yeah
2: uh-huh. and
3: uh, so so uh, we ended up in virginia for a couple of years in roanoke virginia had a wonderful time we had one child at that time and now we have two of them so uh, they both play tennis and you know we moved down here because tennis is always going to be florida for us and yeah. uh, we ended up here in palm beach gardens and uh, we're working on some really stellar projects here, and hopefully uh, it'll come to fruition very
4: soon.
2: Yeah, your two kids, I've i have seen them on YouTube, right? I think yeah. there's, uh, like, one of them's doing some drills or something? Oh, my God. I was in Texas this past week. I was That's doing right, tennis camp. And my
4: wife texts me, and she goes, you know, your daughter, she's nine. She's super smart.
3: And uh, she goes, you know, she's been begging me for last year that she wanted her own youtube channel because these kids are so ridiculous they are so digitally minded and they see all these opportunities and and she wants to have her own youtube channel now she's doing it and then a week later my little boy was crying so much he's seven and he wants to be just like his sister all the time so now he has his own youtube channel unbelievable where is this going
2: unbelievable
3: oh
1: my god you better, you better uh, watch out You're going to be You're going to be The star of their YouTube oh,
2: channel Oh you're going to be And if you could oh. Send me a video or two Of those kids I'll put it to music And I'll put it up And tag You know Christian or Linky Or whatever Whatever their handles are We'll have some fun yeah, with them uh, Linky's
3: Link, Link I mean she is unbelievable. <laughs> she's unbelievable She has a live arm She can be a serious player I, I got a funny story Yeah man So uh, I'm in Texas And uh, you know I, I'm in this house In uh, Palm Beach Gardens and I didn't know where I was going to live, so I uh, I didn't know whether I was going to stay here or whether I'm going to move to Miami or I go to Boca. I didn't know where I was going okay. to go. And so, so a friend of mine has this really nice house, and so I said, listen, I'll, I'll rent the from you for a couple of years. And uh, so he rents me this house, and then one day I'm outside of the garage, and a guy zips by in a golf cart with a fishing pole in the back. And I'm like, was that Richard Williams? And I'm like... Hmm.
2: Serena and hey, Venus's Pop.
3: Yeah, I thought, like, there can be. And so, anyway, a couple of days go by. Sure as hell, here comes Richard walking by. My kid is hitting against the wall, against the garage door. And it's Richard Williams. And I said hello to him, but, you know, he had a stroke, so he didn't quite remember me so well. But, nevertheless, while I was in Texas last week, my wife takes the kids all the time after school. Sometimes they get out of school. They go to a very, very nice school here, very prestigious school. And uh, they ended up... um, Going to tennis a bit late, so Richard Williams shows up at the tennis court right near our neighborhood where we live. It's a brand-new hard court.
4: Uh-huh.
3: She's hitting with my daughter, and Richard walks up to Daga, my wife, and yeah. says, Hey, are you Daga? And she goes, Yeah. She goes, He goes, That kid of yours can be a pro.
2: Yes, Christian. He
3: goes, He goes, but this is the wrong neighborhood. You need to move to Compton. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
2: what a great line from a dude who just got out of the hospital. <laughs> yeah, let's go to Compton. I'm not going to move to freaking you know bad neighborhood
3: and get my kids and that's so just gonna stay hungry.
2: Uh, oh, wait! Wait till Daga tells them about the fancy private school, right? Richard's gonna oh be like, God. get out yeah, of that school yeah, right this now.
3: This is the, yeah, you guys, this is the wrong neighborhood for her. You can't, you, you, she, you know, this is not the right neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my God.
2: Richard so Williams, the most successful tennis dad ever, huh?
3: And there's the most- your kid is gonna be a pro. She's unbelievable. My my daughter
2: is. Oh, it was, it was about she's Linky. Old. I see. Yeah. yeah,
3: right. Linky is so fast. and yeah. She's got a live arm. She can play. But you know what? I'm not gonna push it very yeah. hard. She's she's nine years old, but hell. And yeah. I'm not going to push my kid to be a pro at 12 and then bail on tennis at 14 just no, because I'm, a, man. I'm. In that case, that I don't want to be one of those. No, you
2: players. want them peaking if she, later.
3: If she wants to play golf next summer, if she wants to play soccer, I'm going to yeah. keep her in multiple sports just because she's such a great athlete.
2: Like you in with the health. two sports, yeah. So,
1: so, yeah, so can we go there for a second? What do you what do you think about multi sports and when? should kids play tennis because that's always a big debate yeah. because you played rugby obviously you're a really good rugby player and you turned into a tennis player what what do you think about kids and what do you think about American kids and that kind of thing what should they be doing
3: well let me just say this on an asterisk point of uh, you know starting this conversation i mean look these new kids are so digitally minded i mean everybody has a freaking smartphone and they're dumbing us down to the nth degree
4: Absolutely. I can't
3: stand these damn phones, but it's an absolute necessity to be in this world today. I can't stand it. I'm a, a slave to it. I find myself, so engrossed. I'm like, oh, it's a two hours later, you know. I'm, I'm reaching this, it's searching for this. Uh, you know, there's the digital age, and these kids are unbelievably intuitive with these things. And so, I just think, you know, I limit my kids on their cell phones and their tablets. I, I but you know, they go to school. They got tablets at school. I mean, yeah. they have an iPad and. My daughter's bag at age nine weighs fifty pounds. She weighs forty six. I'm like,
4: this is the <laughs> she's pretty strong. So, uh,
3: you know, it's all electronics, and uh, it is the day of the it is the, the day of the uh, digital age. And what are you going to do? But uh, I limit them, and then I have them just play sports. I mean, I think if you have a kid that's an athlete, just expose them to everything. Keep them away from these electronics as much as possible. Let them be kids. And, uh, you know, let them find their own way. I mean, if, if my daughter likes it, what she's doing? And she likes the YouTube thing and she can coach and she wants to play tennis and she, who knows, you know, if she ever goes to college, we'd love to see her go to college with the tennis. That would be wonderful. Oh. And beyond that, I don't care. I don't know what will happen. Uh, I just think that the world is going to be an incredibly interesting place in the next 25 years because jobs are going to disappear like crazy. Yeah, t- what we think our jobs today are going to be gone in five years, 40% of the jobs we know today will be gone. They won't even so exist. It's a very scary world that's, that's coming, but uh, everything has
4: to change, so maybe we can find other ways to employ people.
1: What do you think of American tennis right now? Speaking of tennis, kind of going on that theme, what do you think of American men's tennis, women's tennis? What do you think we are? Are we obviously not at the zenith of where we were, but what do you, what do you think about the state of American tennis? I
3: think women's tennis is really exciting right now.
2: Yeah,
1: and we're watching it on TV actually right now. We're watching. Yeah, we've got champ- that
2: Shenzhen uh, year-end championships. We've got I Bianca.
3: Mean, I think the girls are
2: playing unbelievable tennis. I think there's a lot of youngsters. Uh, uh, McNally, or what is it? The, the, the girl from uh, from uh, Cincinnati. Oh yeah, Katie McNally. Yeah, yeah.
3: She and Coco Gauff. I mean, obviously, they. You know, I think that the WTA tour and just tennis in general needs to pump these young girls and. You know, make them superstars because that's what's going to drive American tennis back to the front pages. You know, unfortunately, on the guys' side, you know, uh, there's been a bit of a drought. And, uh, you know, we were hoping that maybe a Jack Sock could come out and do it, and then he kind of disappeared.
2: Yeah, he... And there
3: were some others, and, and, you know, there's some good players. But, uh, you know, tennis, look, I mean, let's face it. I mean, the best athletes in America do not play tennis.
2: They're, they're gravitating toward basketball and football.
3: I mean, that's just a simple fact. And uh, what are you going to do?
2: Just the uh, money? Tennis
3: is a very expensive sport. Yep. To get very good at it, you need to mortgage three houses now. I mean, it's insane how much it costs. Um, I just don't know what the answer is. I think that uh, tennis is taking a hit. Uh, I think that tennis is uh, very healthy in certain aspects, meaning on a pro tour level, we see the Grand Slams just increasing prize money, increasing prize money, more attendance, bigger courts,
4: close the roof, yep. do this, do that. And then you have these, uh, you know, other tournaments, B&B Party Prize, super,
3: super successful in Indian Wells. And then you have the new Key Biscayne tournament that moved over to the Hard Rock area. It's and in that,
2: Miami, uh, yeah.
3: It's, it's, unbelie- it's going to be an unbelievable site. I mean, I was so surprised when I went there this year. I was blown away. I think this place is awesome. And uh, so I think it's going to stay stay there for a long time. So I think on the pro side, you know, look, tennis is uh, is a global sport. Unfortunately, until we have superstar Americans, then Americans are not going to tune
4: in.
1: Mm. That's
3: as simple as that. It's a simple fact.
1: Yep, very good. So, do you think that, uh, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy, and and a, and a local guy, Martin Barba? I don't know if you know Martine. This or is not. down in San Diego, right? Yeah, down in the Southern Cal. They've got this. Uh, American champions tennis, where they're not charging kids, and they're just they're being recruited basically if they've got some talent. Do you think Jimbo has any uh, you know opportunities to help tennis? Because that's what what uh, we picked up on an article it says that uh, Connors is has got got a group that's uh, trying to make uh, American tennis uh, kind of in a different manner. That uh, he's uh, got something where he's going to try to train a select handful of kids. You know, on an occasional basis, four times a year. Yeah. That's what the article What said. do you think of that?
2: And are you in yeah. touch with Jimmy much?
3: Yeah, I'm you know, not really much in touch with Jimmy. I mean, I haven't seen him in a while. Um, you know, Normally I would see him probably at a Wimbledon or i see him a little bit at the uh, U.S. Open or something, but I didn't spend a lot of time this year at, the, uh, at both of those tournaments. But look, I mean, you know, the, the, the side of tennis coaching is so variable. It is so... Non-conformist. It is, you know. I mean, if can you imagine what people must have said about Richard Williams in Compton, California, saying that these two girls are going to be winning Wimbledon one day?
4: Oh, people laughed
3: him off the court. They think
2: he's insane. Yeah,
3: he won. You know, so this 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 game of tennis is uh, part science and a big part of art. And you know, maybe you find and you weave your way. Just because you were a great tennis player doesn't mean that you're going to be the all and be all of finding an athlete and make them a Wimbledon champion. What we've seen over the millennia is that there are people that have been great coaches that were just run-of-the-mill guys. Yeah. That they were inspiring. They uh, they stayed with that player, or that player stayed with them. Look at Uncle Tony and, and Rafa. Oh, and Pratt, yes. Ron,
2: you, are, you must be talking <laughs> about my uh, Tio Tony,
4: see? Si.
3: Yeah. Uncle Tony. <laughs> and and, uh, you know, so Leonard Berglund with Borg, and then you had, uh, you know, I mean, Jimmy Connors, he was coached by his mom and his grandma, uh-huh. and then uh, sort of had some help on the tour with uh, with Segura of Segura and uh, yeah. people like that, but, you know, Jimmy was basically, the foundation was laid by two women. Who the hell would have thought that? Uh,
1: yeah. And then Nick, you know? I mean. So
3: I'm not going to cut Jimmy down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what the deal is, exactly how he got this situation going, but, you know, obviously, uh, you know, the more people like that is involved with tennis, I think the more promotions and PR there is, and I think it's good for tennis. And uh, if he can exp- inspire some kids to kind of move up and be better and become great American players, so what? I, 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 I would applaud him for that.
1: They said that uh, he, they partnered up with a guy named Freddie
2: Bloody, He's a Santa Fe billionaire. billionaire. Yeah. And
3: yeah, I know. Fred Luddy was down in uh, Texas this weekend. I saw him
2: there. We, he we, came uh, to your Legends Legends Week at Nukes, right?
3: Yeah, I won the boat race, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> you're the best.
2: <laughs> I won the boat race
3: second year in a row, first year and first time in 31 years that a foreigner came in and beat the Aussies.
2: Of Meaning, America. not not Nukes Squad. Yes.
3: I beat Nuke at his own game. I love it with my team, and I all, I got all college guys on my team. <laughs>
1: and, and, and this is, is a uh, an this adult is, beverage game. I think this it?
3: is
2: a big Stein of, uh, of ale, huh? Or some good <laughs> we beer. We did the
3: boat race. We knocked it out of the ballpark again this year. I had a strategy, and it worked. And yeah. then uh, my team, uh, my team, uh, were the Muscle Men, which is named after you know, tongue in cheek with uh, Ken Rosewell. Uh uh-huh. right. Muscles. Muscles. Okay. So the Muscle Men beat uh, the the. Mu- the mongrel kangaroos, uh-huh.
4: which is Nuke's team in the
3: finals. So my team
2: and uh, after five days, I mean, we were just spent. We were done. I'm sure. Yeah. Hey, wh- which which guys who we know were on your squad was Owen? I'm sure Owen K. Davidson was on Nuke's team, huh? The the ruse. Well, I
3: had Dave
2: Owe on my team. Dave Owe. Davidson. Okay. Um, we
3: had Murphy Jensen. Murphy's a big boy. Murphy was absolutely useless. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Drinking beer he can't drink. Huh? <laughs> the
2: guy is massive. He's like 6'5".
3: Murphy, Murphy was hilarious. I mean, typical. <laughs> um, you know, was so funny. And um, we had a great bunch of guys uh, from all over America came and played. And, you know, it was just fun. We had a, we had a wonderful time. I'll tell you what, that's really a, an amazing event. It's been at, at it for 32 years. There's wow. a couple of guys that have been there for 32 years.
2: All 32 but, years
3: when they started they didn't have kids and now they have kids and they brought their sons for the first time wow i mean it's really really a special event and i would say john newcomb and steve contardi and his crew and all the people at that nukes uh,
4: tennis ranch in new brownfields texas i mean it's an older place
3: it's but it's part of the charm and it's really really well done and it's an amazing event
1: it's a it's a regular what we call a tennis ranch. It's not it's a, a ranch. It's not a
2: resort. It's, but not, it's a ranch. It's not fancy. It's it's the best <laughs> thing. Not a fancy at all. And I'm telling
3: you, these guys don't care. They come nobody there. Nobody cares. No. Nobody. And you know, i seeing if they can beat the son of a bitch they lost last year. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they drink like fish. They eat like hogs. And they play tennis. They have blisters. They get mad at the other guy. They get bad calls. They give bad calls back. And uh, they listen to super dirty jokes from a 94 year old guy that's a uh, a gynecologist. I mean, this
4: guy's hilarious. And and so they,
3: uh, you know, just stuff like that. It's just a guy thing and it's absolutely special and oh.
4: it's
3: hilarious.
2: Yep. Yeah, and when they, when they go to the men's room, it's, you know, it's blokes. Women's room is Sheila's. It's, yep. uh, the, the bar name is the Billabong. It's pretty, yeah. pretty Australian. The
1: Australians, they have a, a, I know you've run into a lot of Australians. Yeah. We've run into a lot of Australians. I think they're some of the most fun-loving people that are uh, out there. I mean, they're just uh, an incredibly nice group of people that uh, they take their tennis seriously, but at the same time, they take their fun just as seriously. I think they
2: do. I, I took uh, I took French uh, for seven years in high school and a little bit in college, but I wish I'd taken Australian just to hang with those guys, just to understand them all. <laughs> <laughs>
4: no, it's, uh,
2: My second no, it's language. Funny. I mean, the South Africans and the Australians and the New yes. I mean, we uh, we are yes. always at war with rugby always always cricket always. And cricket too that's right yeah. yeah yeah
3: major cricket uh, headaches and, yeah. uh, you know but uh, they from all
4: three countries are from the southern hemisphere yeah. a lot
3: of English infusion and so forth and European infusion but uh, honestly the guys get together we're all the same I mean we may speak different languages and different but the,
4: the camaraderie
3: of the friendship and the way that they party and stuff is very similar I mean Everything is on the barbie. In South Africa, it's a braai, you
4: know.
3: Uh, braai. If, if you go to South Africa and you don't have a braai, there's something wrong with you or the, the host is a complete idiot. <laughs> so you have to have at least 10 braais in seven days.
2: Awesome. 10 braais. So <laughs> you're talking lunch and dinner and maybe brekkie. Yeah,
3: you could have. You can have some Aunt Jemima pancakes on the grill. Too, <laughs> on the so
2: Not a problem. <laughs> on the braai. Hey, how do you spell braai? B R A A I A A I. Okay,
3: is, yeah. is
1: that Afrikaans? Is
3: that South that... Yeah, braais mm-hmm. means to do, do barbecue. Barbecue, you meat. Love it. So and South Africans are as equally adept, and and they would hate to, to even think that the Australians can out barbecue. <laughs> uh, so there's there, there's another side to
1: competition, yeah. You know? What? So, so you're still playing quite a bit of tennis. Did they ever ask you to play on the on the like the Oracle Champions Cup, the Old Fartster? Did you ever do that? You know, I played,
3: uh, I played, when Connor started the Champions Tour in 1993, I was just at the tail end of my, uh, woes with my elbow, I had three surgeries,
4: oh, and yeah. the two
3: reattached, uh, ligaments, uh, medial condyle was reattached, twice. I, mean, I, I pulled my medial off, uh, playing with Don a rackets, they were basically test rackets, and they told us to string the rackets 12 pounds tighter suddenly, and nine months later, your elbow falls off, so, you know, I, I went through a really tough time in 89, and, uh, Ended up, you know, three years uh, off the tour, I to tried to make a comeback. And that's where this protected rankings thing came to be because of me and Pat Cash.
2: Oh, Patrick Cash, uh, yes. too.
3: Yeah, we had, he had the calf injury with the ligaments that's torn in right. his Yeah, uh, he had I yeah, a... took him off. He was top 10. I was top 10. And then suddenly we lost our rankings. And people we were like, well, no. you know, what do you do with these guys that want to come back? So, uh, anyway. Um, I ended up, 93, uh, Connors calls me out of the blue in May, and he says, listen, can you play us? I, said, well, I don't know, I haven't played much, but uh, we'll give it a shot. So he invited me to uh, Thousand Oaks, California. I beat Vilas and Borg back-to-back, and I lost to Connors in the finals. And I'm like, my arm is not falling off, I can mm-hmm. still play. Not,
1: not so a
2: bad deal. Excellent. Of the
3: senior tour, and we had three tournaments in 93 with Jimmy, and uh, Ray Benton was his partner. Benton, yeah,
2: I remember the, the Mentadent Champions Tour
3: exactly and yeah. so we, we ended up uh, traveling the world it was absolutely so much fun I mean so much fun I actually had more fun playing the senior tour than perhaps the last five years on the ATP tour the because radio. we went to places we never went to before I mean we played in Moscow we played in Japan we played in uh, well Japan was the ATP tour as well but we mm. ended up in Jeddah Saudi Arabia unbelievable Jeddah yeah there. we played and this will never happen again we played in Mandela Square in Sands and
2: Wow, Joe Berg.
3: And never will they put that thing together like that again. It was uh, it was right at the foot end of Mandela with this huge forty foot statue, and they had the tennis court built in a square on top of the fountain. Wow. it was unbelievable, and they never do that again.
2: Interesting. Yeah, that's that's pretty pretty. So cool. They they yeah. built a special tennis court yeah, in the town that. square. In the, well, there's an
3: area that's sort of like a Beverly Hills of Johannesburg. Uh-huh. It's called Sandton and they built this unbelievable square there with this unbelievable hotels right around and it's like a piazza, you know? Yeah. And it's uh, Italian restaurants everywhere and there's yeah. fabulous places to shop and there's great steakhouses. And so they built this uh, tennis court there, but unfortunately the tennis court did not allow the masses of people to walk around. So it was a tennis tournament. So it kind of affected the retail and the restaurants too much. I see. And uh, they would never do it again, but uh, what a place to play. Gotcha. Unique, yeah. Yeah, very, yeah, very unique.
1: unique. Speaking of unique, get, get your thoughts on the new Davis Cup format. Are you a yes. fan of the new Davis Cup format in Madrid coming up here on uh, November 18th through the 24th? A couple of weeks, yeah. Do you like that? Yeah, where they're doing yeah, one no, side? I,
3: I, uh, you know, I never played Davis Cup. Uh, oh, you know, did? We did that sometime, but uh, politically we never were allowed to. But uh, Kevin Kerr and I never played Davis Cup, or we couldn't go to the Olympics at the end of it. But, Interesting. Uh, but... I- uh, that was a sad part of our careers, but
1: yeah.
3: um, um, you know, I so I I know Davis Cup, I know the formula and stuff, but I I I don't know if it's going to survive. I don't know if it's going to survive this thing because now you have the ATP Cup, which is going to be played in different cities in Australia right before the Australian Open. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just don't I, I just don't know. We're just watered down, you know different formulas of trying to save Davis Cup, you know, I don't want to say it's going to fail, but I just, I just don't know. I just don't know if it's going to say, if it's going to be saved by this new uh, type of uh, scoring and how they're going to divide the teams up. And it's, uh, you know, it's Davis Cup was always a very sacred thing. And I think, you know, maybe the, 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 the tennis fathers didn't really think it through. It's not. It, it was losing money for the players, so that was a rub. Um, you know, if you play exhibitions and you make, you know, some of these top guys are making, uh, you know, a million plus dollars. You know, Djokovic and those guys are making a million dollars in exhibition in Dubai and those places. You know, why would they go and play Davis Cup for fifty thousand or a
4: hundred thousand? I mean, mm.
3: You know, it's a difficult thing because these guys they have so little time, and uh, Correct. Uh, so. I, I, it remains to be seen. I'm not. I'm not going to say no, and I, I. I would like to watch it and see. But uh, this Labor Cup was uh, has sort of taken off in, in its own way. You know, and people love it because
2: they can see the top players actually play as a team and how they coach each other. They
3: they interact. Yeah. It.
1: Do you like that? Do you like the uh, the uh, Labor Cup? I mean, no disrespect to it. I think it's terrific. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I mean it was pretty ingenious. One point on. Friday, two points a match on Saturday, and three on Sunday. So it elevates, yeah, it escalates yeah. it towards Sunday, which uh, usually the world team. We don't have many. Uh <laughs> the players compared
2: to the team yeah. Europe. Oh my gosh! We're the Washington Generals, and the Europe team is <laughs> yeah. the the globe from Harlem. Yeah. I know.
4: I mean, when I saw the, when I saw the makeup
3: of the of, of uh, Europe versus the world, I was like, oh my god! I mean, yeah. this is a stacked draw. It's stacked. But, uh, they almost lost yes the europeans almost lost i mean uh, the rest of the world almost won but um, it, it
2: really it came down to milos and uh, yeah. zverev yeah, yeah did that last match exactly yeah. exactly so
3: uh it was close it was close but you know i know rod labor pretty well you know his girlfriend lives here in jupiter florida That's so he right. comes down here quite often oh cool um and uh so i got to know rod a little bit over the last several years and uh no i think he's uh you know it's a it's a great tribute and Congratulations to Roger Federer for thinking out of the box and really creating that Labor Cup thing because yeah, it's a, it's a very well received. And now it's going to be in Boston
2: next time. That's it, it's all first class. Like every, even the even the umpire chair and the trophy and the black or or very dark gray tennis court. Everything's so first class and it's really well run. Hey, speaking of world team and your um, South African uh, and Australian affinity, give us all two or three sides of your opinion. On one of my uh, favorite players to talk about is Nick Kyrgios.
3: Yeah. Well, you know, as much as people, he is such an enigma. He is. Uh, if this guy starts winning Grand Slams, yeah,
2: or even one,
3: and does all of what he's doing, yeah, he will make more money than Roger Federer. He,
2: he'll be he'll be McEnroe times five.
3: Exactly, and. <laughs> I don't know what it's what is it what what's it gonna take for this guy to actually um, you know take a page out of John McEnroe and see how John has reinvented himself 14 different ways to the sun yeah. and, uh, and and is very successful and how he you know this guy is a super talent but uh, I just uh, I think he's running out of time uh, because there's gonna be other kids catching up to him yeah. and uh, he'll he'll disappear and that'll be a real shame I think he's a He's very much needed in tennis. I think there's I a there's a way to there's a way for him to grab the attention, but he has to win. He can't just be a showman on the court. He has to win, and that's what the big difference was between him and
2: John McEnroe. Yeah, Mac John really the won.
3: The Mac had all of the hate you to. I'll come and watch to hate you. I'd love to hate you. That's what people wanted to do with right. McEnroe all the time, and then. You know, uh, luckily for McEnroe, there was also the opposite of what he was, which was Beyond bored.
4: Yeah. And so that played off really, really well back in
3: the day. And uh, I think people, you know, this crazy New Yorker with this Swedish really stoic Jesus lookalike, yeah.
4: and,
3: uh, you know, that played off really well. And uh, so the good guy, bad guy. Yeah. But, you come but, ahead. Uh, but Kyrgyz, Kyrgyz is going to run out of time. If he, doesn't, uh, if he doesn't start winning some serious stuff, uh, I think he will just be a footnote at the end of the day, which it, would be sad because I think uh, you know. Look, I don't know who the hell's going to get through to him. But the guy has um, has more talent with his pinky than most of the other guys. Oh,
2: you're you're talking about your daughter with the live arm. How about Nick's serve and forehand, and even his backhand is pretty great. He can be. Well, he-
3: you know he's, he's back and as a sleeper agent he yeah. just kind of pushes it you know he pushes it yeah kinda pushes the massage it. he doesn't kinda... really take a swing at it yeah. but now and then he comes up and, yeah I mean that serve and that forehand
2: is just outrageous outrageous and the feel like he'll run down a ball his foot is maybe six inches from the umpire chair and he makes some sick angle going the other way and then yeah. you know he, he does the, this thing and the people love him anybody under 30 love him I mean I I, yeah. I dislike him and and love them. I've got a little bit of both going on. And that's what makes us fans. That's what separates us from the animals. Like, I, I don't just love them or just hate him.
3: The human, the human race is like, let's go check out the train ride. Right yes. <laughs> I
4: mean, that is as simple as it gets, you know. And
3: uh, So, yeah. I, I just hope that somebody can get through to him, but I don't hold my breath.
2: You are getting to my next question is... Can you coach him? Can somebody coach him? Who who do you think? Can you help him? Can you please help the man? I'll probably be in the fistfight with him in the first 15 minutes. <laughs> I want you to take him and grill some meat. I want you to take him for seven days and have and, a brie. Yeah, have a brie. A brie. A brie. <laughs> a brie. A brie, a brie. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll brie his place. <laughs> into the grill. I love the Matchy
3: ziggy, the matchy ziggy zaggy, here haircut. <laughs> his
2: eyebrows. <laughs> I remember when uh, I remember when Peter Lundgren coached Federer early on, and Peter cultured him to the ways of hard rock and long hair and and, you know not shaving and maybe even bleaching the hair. I just feel like maybe you and Nick would get together and he'd make your eyebrows funny. (laughs) He would get you a haircut, maybe a tattoo. (laughs) he'll <laughs> advise tattoo somewhere right maybe some NBA no, I'll just, shoes I'll just, I'll just
1: arm
3: wrestle him every time I, every time every time I beat him on an arm wrestling which I have no problem with taking that yeah. skinny arm and snap it but then I might break his
2: arm But yeah I don't I don't like Nick's chances in that one uh, <laughs> not even with a 60 year old
1: guy
3: right?
2: <laughs> not with thick Yohan Creek arms
3: I tell you what, if I was, if I was single and I didn't have a family, I would love to go on the tour again and just see what I can cough up. But a guy like that definitely needs people like me or somebody like that has done a bit of, done a bit of work around the world, you know, and kind of seen it all and know what the hell is coming and. You know, can can direct a bit of traffic, you know, and direct the brainwaves a bit. You know, the guy is so talented. I just... So good. You know, look, if he doesn't listen to Bad Rafter, if if he doesn't listen to Laver, if he doesn't listen to anybody... Cashy.
2: Cashy is kind of a badass like you, and Nick seems to not get along with Cashy either.
3: You know, maybe he's just one of those guys that, uh, you know, he's got that sort of John, uh, he's got that Jimmy Connors kind of like standoffish, I'm, 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 I'm a freak and I know it and I don't yeah. want you near me. And maybe I'll be nice to you tomorrow and then the day after I tell you to fuck off. You know, I mean, that's how he I, is.
2: Sometimes. I think you nailed it. He is a prince. I'll give you a quick example. He was here in Dallas. He only played dubs and yeah, a in a challenger. I had three young guys and they were begging for... Uh, a moment with Nick and autographs and whatever and I just kind of made it happen and uh, Nick was an absolute prince with these 12-year-old guys and uh, and and then, you know, you hear about him, you know, throwing a water bottle at an umpire and then uh, passing it off like, oh man, it slipped, you know, so, yeah, like that. It's, it's, I mean, it's hilarious. It's,
4: uh, it's
2: terrible but it's so funny.
3: No, but it's like, you know, I mean, you know, <laughs> If there's anybody that he should listen to,
2: yeah.
3: it's John Mackin. Yeah. I mean, he's very much that same genius madness. Cut from the same cloth. You know, one day you think you got him figured out, then the next day you just shake your head and you walk the other way because you can't even have a beer with a guy.
2: Oh, my goodness. But, you
3: know, Mac, when he played on a senior tour with us, yeah. you know, he would, I mean, this is, you know, I take my hat off for the guy. I mean, look, i played John a lot of times. Yeah we don't travel in the same circles you know he's just a different animal mm. um but uh, i have to take my hat off of john because you know he's one of those guys that everybody loves to hate but he's actually a, a very kind-hearted guy yeah and when he played on the senior tour at least from my perspective he would always uh, try and find a children's
4: hospital somewhere Amazing. And uh, the tournament director would say, oh, wait, "Wait a second.
3: Why don't I call the newspaper and the TV guys to go with you? Because this is a great thing for this hospital." And John's like, and "No. Goes, if you bring him, I will not go." Yeah. So he goes to the hospital unannounced. You know, the, the hospital obviously knows he's coming, but mm. there's no paparazzi, and he would Incredible. just hand over a twenty-five thousand dollar or fifty thousand dollar check.
2: Incredible. He
3: he is a and never because that would affect his image for the bad boy. Yeah, yeah, he, he, he's, a,
2: he's a prince, uh, l- like Nick. Uh, the time I had John at a, at a club event, we played an EXO with myself and two other guys, Dubs, and uh, he whined a little bit that it was September and it was 100 degrees, and how the hell do you guys do that in Texas? And then he's signing autographs for... 45 minutes. Granted, he wasn't too happy signing autographs for 50-year-old dads, you know, on a racket. But if, the, if a kid was under 14, John was in and sweating and, you know, having a Coke and a smile and signing for any kid that would come along. It was great. So, yeah, th- thanks for, uh, for saying nice things about Nick and John. I think they both need that. Yeah, I, I,
3: look, I wish Nick would turn around and uh, if he starts winning and he... he... Be a bad boy, but be a bad boy in a good way. Yeah, a good way. You know, in a good way. Don't just be a jerk and, you know, flip people off all the time. Because eventually, the people that you keep pushing away, they may not come back. You know, McEnroe Mm. had an incredible way of bringing him back. Because why? He was winning. Yeah. He was winning. And he was bad. And he was winning. And people... You know, that combination was just like, you know, lava and freaking minus 40 degree ice, you know? And, yeah. And uh, you just explode around each other. And, you know, that was just great for tennis. I mean, what a, a freaking hero
2: that was. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And, you know, I like how you said it bad boy but winning. Nick it, it did it. It, it. Bad boy in a good way. Nick did it in Acapulco. We kind of need him to do it at Wimbledon one day. Yes. I think we, yeah. well,
3: that's the thing. You win a grand slam, nobody can no, nobody can tell you you suck forever. Okay, if you, yeah, I mean, I don't care what they say, you had to win seven matches, yeah, and uh, they, that's no fluke, okay. And so, if if Nick comes out this next year, and I don't know what he will have to take some magic Indian potion or some <laughs> swami Indian guy makes mm-hmm. a potion for him, and he comes out. And he fires on all sixteen cylinders, and he starts winning grand slams, or he, you know, he wins the Masters One Thousand, and he's taking on, you know. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, he's so talented. Like these three guys, I mean, maybe Roger and Nadal might be sort of slowing down a little bit over yeah. the next year. He's still young.
2: I think he can take on Djokovic. And, oh, he's you know, he he has a head to head with Djokovic of two and O. He's never lost to Djokovic. That's unbelievable. unbelievable. So, uh, what I'm saying is
3: that maybe the stars will
4: align yeah. for him
3: to sort of sneak through, a la what happened with uh, you know Steffi Graf and stuff. You know? Oh so he man! kind of sneaked through and, and became this unbelievable champion, and, and maybe that's a possibility for him.
2: Johan, let's make it happen. I'm going to put Creek and Curios together. I <laughs> oh, think this is team. a team. <laughs> this is a team, man. <laughs> right? Creek.
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Well. What about, you know, we had another thought here. We were talking, thinking about academies and tennis. Are are we too cookie cutter? I mean, because, I mean, obviously Kyrgios is is a kind of a, he's a great talent. Do do we, in in America, are we just kind of not enough other kind of, you know, ground stroke? I mean, what kind of game, I mean, because you had a great game. I mean, obviously you were an all-court player. Why are we in love with the people who want to stay back and just grind balls out? Because I don't think you could do both. You were be- definitely offense defense, but you could play offense. And it doesn't seem like the guys now can play offense as much as you're know, coming to the net. I mean, wh- wh- is there something wrong with the academies also too that are out there, or are, there, are the the pros? Uh, is there something wrong with us that uh, coaches? You coaches? Know. You know, I'm just, um, I'm just interested. Say
3: right, guys, I'm telling you, there is no silver magic bullet to this thing. No there's one nothing, answer. There's no secret they sauce. There just isn't. Um, I mean, I've, you know, I mean, look, I, I was listening to these Aussies last week talk about that era, you know, the 50s and 60s when yeah. Newcomb and Labour and Roosevelt and all those young guys came out. And, you know, you had Tony Rose, you had Lou Hode. I mean, there was this one guy, Harry Hopman, who just absolutely had such an eye for talent. But back then, it was a golden era for them. I mean, there were so many Australians that were so, so good. And, uh, you know, there were some Americans, too, and a couple of sprinklings of Germans, you know. Mm -hmm. But uh, the Australians absolutely ruled the courts back in the 60s. And then the Americans came along and, uh, you know, they started ruling. And Connors was there and Mackner was there and there was a Swede. I mean, who would have thought
2: Sweden would have such a dynasty of players right after Borg? Yeah, yeah Borg, Vilander, right. Edberg, and then yeah. you know
3: Johansson and a couple of guys, and yeah, mm. Soderling at the end of the day. But
2: what happened since? Right,
1: yeah, gone not much it's yeah. disappeared. Yeah, everybody has their you turn know? in the fishbowl, I guess. But here's an
3: interesting stat. You know, I was looking at you know, there's like I don't know, twelve, of, I don't know, I think it was twelve or so French players in the top hundred in the world. And they were the
4: number one nation represented in the top hundred. Mm. The
2: French, more than Spain, yes. more than the U.S.
3: Yes, more than
2: Spain. Crazy. And uh,
3: and you know what I like about the French, really, funny enough, um, <laughs> the
1: guys with theories.
3: Their their tennis philosophy is, and 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 I, you can see it. I mean, look at all the French players. Okay, yeah. you got Songa, He's a pretty strong guy. Yeah, probably could have been a soccer player or some judo
2: judo, like, rugby something yeah
3: and, uh, rugby or something big time then you have Monfils who could have been a basketball player amazing track and field then you have Gasquet, this little guy with the most funky sport I mean he was on the front page of uh, French tennis magazine at
2: when age he was like 9
3: six, 6 or 8 years old I yeah
2: mean, he yeah. was going to be the
3: next world champion he was the best player at the 8 years old in the world and, you know, he turned out great, but he was not the world champion.
4: So yeah.
3: here's the thing that I found out is that the French really, their philosophy is uh, let the kids play their own way. Let them find their own way to win with their own style. And so it's kind of like, you know, this guy is a croissant and this guy is a donut mm. and this guy is a, is, a, is a truffle. And you know, So everybody has their own flavor, which I think is great. It uh, it makes for more variety, and maybe the kids uh, play their character. And uh, yeah. you know, I was uh, I was a very hot tempered, hot headed, you know, tri- type triple A type personality, and that's triple. I just I didn't listen to too many people's BS about oh you should be this, you should be that. I just played the way I felt. Uh-huh. And sometimes I felt
4: a lot under the cover uh, color, and that didn't work either. <laughs>
2: but, <laughs> so, uh, instinct you know, and flair. And the French has, maybe there's something to
3: it that the French has a little bit more
1: freedom, so to yeah. speak. So with, with
3: in their coaching philosophy. O- opposite
2: you know. of the of the more cookie cutter American yeah, sort of. Yeah,
1: uh, that's where I was kind of leading. Yeah, to go. Yeah, yeah. Is USDA kind of. Are they doing it right, do you think? I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to throw that. They're very nice people and good natured. And they're they're well-meaning and well-intentioned, but it just seems like the player development program hadn't done anything. Sorry, UST, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw the the, the rocket. No, we're just
2: presenting some facts. Well, yeah.
3: If if money was the only thing that stood between a player and a success, then America should have seventy people in the top hundred. We'd be
2: number one. That's no, not the case. We'd be Davis Cup champs all the time. Uh,
3: exactly. So, mm-hmm. I mean, like I said to you before, there is no silver bullet to this this this, this madness of becoming a great tennis player. There's so many variables. Uh, yeah, money is important. Yeah. But that's not, uh, opportunity
1: that's not the only thing. has to be there. But, mm-hmm.
3: you know, we have so much more opportunity now than 30, 40 years ago in tennis. I mean, people can play everywhere. There's courts everywhere. There's indoor
4: courts everywhere in the cold. There's yeah, yeah still an expensive sport,
3: but... We, we you know, what I, what I, what I, what I want to say is that, you know, tennis is sixth or eighth or something on the list. The best athletes on the men's side do not play, you know, professional tennis. Maybe I mean, should... uh, can you imagine the LeBron Jameses of the world playing tennis? It'd be a joke. Wow.
1: Yeah, no, we, we need to move to Compton, California, and find all the athletes right there, right? Is, according to Richard Williams. Richard, yeah, he
2: knows. Like Richard Williams was
1: uh, the most to Compton. <laughs> That's his uh, Move to Compton. Everybody wants, move to Compton.
2: He wants Lincoln and Christian Creek to head over there, West Coast.
1: <laughs> I don't think Dad's going to go fall for that. <laughs> I can't hey, see but, you, you know, buying a house I, there.
3: I, I, I really have something, uh, you know, I've... Uh, you know, Federer and Nadal are playing this exhibition February seventh in Cape Town, right? Oh
2: yeah, South oh, Africa. Really? Yeah, okay,
3: yeah. Have you heard about
2: that? Yeah, and that's yeah. Roger's a charity, and it's going to yes. be a, a pretty big deal, right? Yeah, it's a
3: it's a very big deal for South Africa, and it's a big deal for Africa because these guys, you know, Roger's mom is South African,
2: right? Lynette,
3: and uh, born and then they moved to Switzerland, but he was born in Switzerland. So
2: she she has is, uh, so. the accent still. I've yes, heard her she still speak. Has yeah.
3: You know he's very involved with charity, and his foundation is helping build schools in very different parts of southern Africa. So uh, Roger has done an amazing job there. But so now they got Nadal and Federer coming down and play February seventh in Cape Town in the corner of that massive soccer stadium. So they sold fifty-two thousand tickets in twenty minutes. Wow. fifty-two thousand. It's wow. going to be the largest attendance for any tennis match anywhere in the world. It'll be the world record for, for yes, attendance. Yeah, I think so. That be the of Battle of
1: the Sexes over Bobby Riggs and in Billie Jean Houston, King. In Houston, Astrodome. In Astrodome, yeah. yeah. In the Astrodome. yeah that's, that's, that was about 40000 I think, somewhere in that neighborhood.
2: 1973,
1: yeah, yes. a long time ago. Right.
3: 52000 mm. know, I was hoping that, the, that there would be an opportunity to even make more money for Rogers Foundation uh, as it relates to, you know, this is a one-off event. And I was hoping that there would be, you know, something to the effect that the best African tennis players should congregate in Cape Town. So a week or ten days before that event. Good idea. And do sort of clinics and you can do some things and you can get television to follow us. And, you know, you look at juniors and you talk about how Africa... How can I be the only African-born athlete to win two Grand Slams? Crazy. I mean, I am not that good. I'm sorry. (laughs) You're pretty good. pretty good, but... I was pretty good, but I mean...
2: We need
1: to find the next
3: one. Yeah, and uh, that is something I'm working on right now. So as things develop, I will let you know.
1: Well, good. Yeah, we'd love to lo- love to hear more about you know, what you got going. Because I think you, you grew up in the South African age of tennis. I think that was really you know, Cliff Drysdale was around. Yeah, you know, right, right before out, your crowd. Right before, and then all of a sudden, all these great South African players yeah. you know, started coming out of uh, your country. And you're one of, one of the long list of uh, South African players that really mm-hmm. made an impact on the world scene. Not just, you know, in U.S. tennis there was a bunch of them around. But uh, here re- recently it just seems like other than Kevin Anderson, I don't think there's
2: really you know, much going on. That uh, in, in dubs you've got uh, Raven Claussen and uh, Kutsi is a great dubs coach. But, yeah,
3: Jeff Gutierrez really got. I mean, he was a great little player. Um, he's from the Cape area. Yeah, Cape. And uh, unbelievable story about how he uh, he became what he is, and now there's a huge accolades for being uh, coaching those two guys from Brazil. Yeah, and Colombia. That's,
2: that's to, true. two. Uh, yeah. number one yeah, in the F- world. Yeah, F- so Cabal. Yeah. Yes.
3: Yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, kudos to him. Unbelievable, but. Yeah. Uh,
1: but the, the no, I mean, South Africa dry. is a
3: small country in the sense that uh, our athletes that came out of there from every walk of life has been a- extra- extraordinary, actually. But, uh, you know, we, uh, we definitely uh, need more tennis athletes. And uh, I think, uh, you know, what I look for is that hunger. You know, there's a big difference between a kid that has an iPhone and a kid that doesn't have bread. That, that's
1: oh. correct. So yeah. that's, uh, that's
3: what I look for.
2: The hunger.
1: Yeah, the drive. Yep. Kind of like the, the young Johan Creek out there that's from the farm that makes it yeah. uh, has fifty cents in his pocket and you know still keeps going right. That's so. That's just. That's the, a great
2: story. This is the American dream, and I get uh, a little emotional hearing about it. I love. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, I mean that. Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah, it was all true. It was all true. I did not know I was going to be a pro tennis player. I just gave it a shot, and then uh, you know the next the next level was reached, and then I thought, well. You know, I, uh, I I felt like I could have won that guy, beat that guy, but I lost. So yeah. let's let's keep going and see if I can catch up to them. And, you know, if you have that, uh, y- you know, and I think what has what happened a lot in American juniors, and this, this is a killer in my opinion, mm. is, and I hope that Corey Goff does not fall in that same trap, but there are so many stories of these super young athletes, boys or girls, that you know, get that huge contract from some company and
2: it's they chosen. immediately
3: feel like they've made it. And that absolutely kills the hunger and kills the desire to, uh, to to push through. But what I think is also very important for people to understand is it's not just the hunger, okay? But I think that that humbleness of when you reach a certain goal, like you almost like, it's not preordained. People said, oh, you know, you should... But you, we all knew you're going to do that and therefore that's the that's the truth and therefore it, you know you should just accept that but yeah you know, for me it was always like I can't freaking believe I just did that I can't believe I beat that guy or I don't believe I can't believe I won this tournament
2: you're amazing you know? yourself rather I mean, than
3: I you you sort of have this humbleness about it that yeah. you know you can't believe it happened and I think that's sort of part of the the amazement that you you know you reach a goal and you know it's not just Oh yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, I should have, because you know, Nike paid me a million dollars for my contract, so that I fulfilled it that way. It's, yeah. it's sort of a cold reality of non uh, non enthusiasm enthusiasm. But I, I think that's that's kind of sometimes what happens to these younger kids. You know, they they've been t- so talked to how great they are that if they reach that greatness, it's sort of like instead of being humbled and saying, "I can't believe I did that," they just go, "Well, yeah, that's normal." Yeah, none of this is normal. I mean, how can I come from a farming community of five hundred people to be number seven in the world, and I'm the only African-born
4: tennis player who went to Grand Slam titles? I mean, how yeah. is that possible? Yeah. I mean, it's just really
1: luck, and I tried very hard. The internal drive, you know, yeah. to, to the will to succeed. Uh, the there's like you said, a lot of intangibles that go into just get, getting to be where where you were and and are. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, they just hard to believe. Good
2: stuff. CB1, let's switch gears yep. to a little humor, shall we? Yeah, because we know that yeah. uh, we don't want to take too much of your time. Yeah, because, it's, yeah. it's almost bedtime for you, mate. Who yeah, so. we, we want, want some people
1: to understand? <laughs> I'm a 9-L. I li do not got to be. You are. Wow. Craig is a 9-L, oh, oh, yeah. too. Oh, yeah. gosh, I
2: can all right, I'll, it's almost bedtime for me then, right. Johan. All
1: right, we're just not getting started. <laughs>
2: I'm, yeah, it's, it's only ten
1: fifteen here. That's I, right. I, I, got, I got plenty of time, you know. Two, give two, him some, two. give him some
4: coffee or caffeine or something. That's right. it. Five, something. five
1: hour energy. Come on, we give you five hour energy. You can throw one down. All right. So, first band you saw in concert? What you see? In, who'd you see in concert?
3: Oh my goodness! I saw Neil Diamond. In Neil Diamond.
1: <laughs> Neil Diamond. Where'd you say? Sorry about that. Yeah, where was it?
3: Yeah, I think it was in Pretoria
2: or Janisburg. Okay. To say where it Neil was. Yeah, Diamond. Back in South I thought, Africa.
1: I thought you were going to say some hard rock band. I, yeah. I, that one came out of nowhere.
2: Yeah, I pictured yeah. you that like. That was a huge Neil Diamond film. No, oh, I love, love it.
1: Neil Diamond. Oh, man.
2: <laughs> I, I, I pictured you and Cashy at a Led Zeppelin show. Right. Or, I know Cashy's a little younger than you, but, but uh, I,
4: I pictured yeah, you some a hard lot rock. He's
3: more musician oriented than I am. He, but, is, uh, he is. Now, I, uh, I've been to uh, quite a few concerts, but. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no. When I was young, I was in high school, and it was a weekend, and, they, and a friend of mine and I pulled our money, and we bought two tickets for the Neil Diamond concert.
2: Oh, it's great.
1: Interesting. Boy, I would have never thought we would be talking about Neil <laughs> Diamond. Yeah, I love All right, it. so now if you could hear a band, what band would you want to see, and what city or venue would they be at?
3: Oh, man. Um... I would say I would love to. I would love to see Led Zeppelin in Wembley Stadium. Oh yes, in yeah.
2: London, big, huge,
3: yeah, something or, like uh, eighty thousand. I tell you what, I would love, absolutely love, to listen to Adele, Adele. in the Royal Albert Hall. Oh, oh. In- indoors, amazing Very sound. Yeah, Yes, she has an yeah.
1: unbelievable voice. Yeah, Adele's voice. I mean, is- that that
3: place has acoustics. You can hear a pin drop in that place. And I mean, her voice, or you know, any of these uh, amazing. Tenors or something, yeah. you know. I mean, I wish I could have seen Pavarotti. I like all kinds of music. I mean, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a huge oh, rock fan too. I love, I love rock music too. Yeah. But uh, I kind of like all sorts of genres. I mean, I'm a big country, country fan. Country as well. too, and
1: really. Country. Jason,
3: Al, Jason Aldean. Yeah, I mean, those guys are great. and yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, uh, "Stairway to Heaven" by the by Wilson Phillips. That was most amazing rendition what? ever. <laughs> so um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Eagles, I mean, I saw, uh, I saw Glenn Fry I was saying, man, I, I couldn't believe it. I was doing a cruise for uh, Richard Branson, In uh, it was a cruise party in New York City a couple of years ago, and uh, I walk out on this big old uh, boat, you know, it's a huge boat in um, New York City, New and, the harbor, and then we're driving around and going along, going under the bridges and stuff. It was an absolutely beautiful, gorgeous night, and I walk out with my wife. And here's Glenn Fry sitting right next to me. And I'm like, look, and I, you know, we start talking tennis. And I told him, I said, oh, I saw you in Aspen many years ago uh, when you were with, uh, with some others. I can't think of it. Who was it? Jackson Brown. It uh, a oh, Jackson
1: yeah. Brooklyn. yeah, he and Jackson Brown were buddies? Yeah, they toured together. Yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah. And so they were in Aspen, and I was doing a tennis thing. And it was sponsored by Guest Jeans. Yes the Massimo brothers and uh, yeah. so uh, I talked to him a little bit and uh, I had no idea at the time he was dying of cancer and uh, he was dead a few months after wow. I met him wow. so that was
1: about 2016 yeah. then yeah that was, was uh, that about three yeah, years ago yeah I mean
3: the you know, Eagles were just absolutely phenomenal Genesis Phil Collins all those guys uh, I mean, you know, just music from the 70s and 80s and 90s was just incredible yeah, yeah
2: it was not digitized <laughs> back then sort of what well, you are talking about AI and, and the, how things have changed even music has changed to becoming pretty formulaic you really have to hunt down the unique artists these days. But you
3: know, it's so amazing. You go on YouTube and you see these four, five, six, seven-year-old drummers and singers and guitar players and these street urchins that can play a guitar from what they made out of... It's unbelievable. It's like so many talented people.
2: It's like the the soccer players, the footballers from parts of Africa where the ball isn't a football, soccer ball. It's like bags rubber-banded together, and they become... Uh, like like one guy is on PSG now, and one guy is on Chelsea, and they've yeah. become remarkable professionals. All right, speaking of Zeppelin, Johan, what do you think of this band from Michigan, Greta von Fleet? Have you heard of them? I've
3: heard of them, but I, I don't know their music.
2: It sounds just like Robert Plant. It sounds the kid's voice, it's sort of what you're talking about these eight year old buskers uh, playing drums well. This kid has rehearsed, his influences are. You know John Lee Hooker, American blues, and you know of course Zeppelin. It's pretty amazing.
1: Interesting. So yeah. check them
2: out, Greta Van Fleet, and I just like it because it's a Dutch name, and I figured Johan would be <laughs> like, oh. I'm oh. buying that CD. Well, oh, right? Fleet sounds like uh
3: Dutch chick or something. it, yeah. It's, uh, it does. It's like, yeah, it's a guy there. It's
2: yeah. A, yeah. it's it's like t- two or three brothers and a friend who's playing drums or whatever it is, and they're from some small town in Michigan. Yeah, they're three-piece. Oh, wow. That's it. Three they, they sound just too much like. I think it's four guys. They sound too much like Zeppelin, and then you just realize, my goodness, they I mean, so what? Like, at least they sound like a great band. Yeah. Well yeah. sound
3: uh yeah,
4: guys there's, yeah, there's been so many bands,
3: the Beatles had a knockoff band that sounded just like them. Yeah. Uh, you know, even uh yeah, what is his name? Uh who's the new singer for Journey?
1: Oh, right. Dakota, uh Steve uh, Perry for the Philippines.
3: Right. Steve Perry, yeah. I mean unbelievable. These guys
1: sound just like them. Unbelievable,
4: yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: there's a there's a uh uh, television channel called Axis. I don't know if you ever watch Axis, Axis TV. Axis. I love, that's all about music, and Paul Schaefer has it. Paul Schaefer plus one. Dan Rather has this this uh, interview. They uh, do musicians. Billy Gibbons was on with oh, ZZ, Top. ZZ Top. I love ZZ Top, and, yeah. and it was an awesome hour uh, with uh, Dan Rather. Uh, it, it just I find music fascinating. I, I'm an old-timer. I like yeah. all the old stuff.
2: Oh, Yo, you're a rock, I yeah, for yeah. the 70s, I'm 80s rocker, yeah. right. Oh
3: yeah. yeah, but did you see Adam Levine's rendition when he put purple rain and he did the uh, Prince. Prince, uh, uh, yes.
4: That I mean, is he's an awesome. unbelievable
2: guitarist. Yeah. Oh I yeah, no he idea. can play, huh? Yes, he's got some oh, chops. He can right? seriously play
4: yeah. guitar. I'm yeah.
2: unbelievable. We, we like can't, does, uh, so no, we can't. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we, we can't. And, and as you may have noticed in my Johann Krieg song, uh, I can't sing either, but. But we're probably going to do a ZZ Top tribute band. Are we? But the thing is, we're not good, so maybe ZZ Bottom.
1: Oh, oh ZZ Bottom? Z, be, yeah, it would be terrible. It's at the top. We'll go to the sideways. bottom.
2: ZZ Sideways, man.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right, moving on. All right, uh, uh, favorite movie or TV show? What do you like? What do yeah, you watch? what do you like, John? Movies or TV guy? Um, i do you
3: what, movies. Uh, some
2: of my best. Uh, my, one of my best movies was the Gladiator. Uh,
3: uh, oh, Gladiator. Uh, uh, Shawshank Redemption I mean yeah. those are uh, is,
2: is Braveheart On your, on your list? Is, is Braveheart On your list? If you like Gladiator Yeah that's a good one
3: too yeah. I love that uh, With Mel Gibson That was awesome
2: yeah. So do you watch uh, those Over like and over? I to be Drawn and
4: quartered At the end of it That's all <laughs> Oh no. my god That was sad <laughs> Yeah
1: So do you watch Do you watch um, those Over and over? TV, on TV shows yeah. Um
3: the Blacklist um, I love I love blacklist. The Blacklist And I love Madam Secretary I think she does A great job
1: Oh yeah All Yeah right.
3: And uh, Yeah I, You know I kind of You know Late night I
1: um, Bounce around Yeah I Bounce around watch,
3: watch some different shows but uh, Netflix yeah, are,
1: are you on Netflix. Netflix Do you do Netflix And that kind of stuff You know No
3: I don't I don't have time For, for, for big movies I just yeah, watch it. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Maybe one hour here, to listen that. Okay. yeah, a little bit. I, yeah, I'm very much into politics. I follow the world. Yes, yeah. oh, I, I want. Okay. I, uh, I want to figure out go. what's
2: your favorite news source.
3: Oh my god! You know, I I read I I read all the stuff I hate because uh-huh. I want to make sure I hate them for the right reason. Yeah, you got you
2: got to look at the other side, right? Right. There are two, two sides of the story. If you only have people agreeing with you, you're going to become a zombie. You know? uh, yes, that's man, right. no, no. Uh, mind-controlled slave, yeah.
3: Yeah, so, I mean, I listen to all of it. Uh, I, I mean... Uh, you go Fox, and But I, I have to admit, it, it's, I've, uh, I've been in this country now since 1978, so what, over 40 years, and uh, I have never, never seen the political discord or the crap and the stuff that's going on on both sides of the aisle both Um, yes for the last for the last number of years i mean it's just unbelievable and and, you know you know i always tell people i said you know if you want to really know what america means to anybody i beg you to go and sit in an immigration office in washington or anywhere that is a major immigration yeah big city where where people get their little blue passport and they say Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so, you are now American citizens. And see what people think about being an American.
2: They put their I hand on their hearts.
3: I swear to God, I wish somebody would do a... a, a just do a...
2: A documentary.
3: A, a documentary on these people, because I, I was in tears when I became an American, because I'm like, my whole life has changed. This country has meant everything to me. And how people abuse it, and abuse citizenship, and how... You know, there should be a right path to come because everybody should be treated fairly. If we say that we are the land of the free, but we're also the land of the brave and we do things fairly, then the laws are not for one group of people this way and another group it's the other way. I mean, that doesn't make any sense to anybody with a rational mindset. Mm. So I uh, I just think that people need to understand if you really think about America, go and sit in one of those immigration offices and listen to people and then see when people are sworn in as American citizens, what their faces are like and what they tell you. Some of these people have waited 20 years. Some of these people have waited, you know, 10 years, 12 years, 14 years, you know. Mm-hmm. It's not easy to become an American citizen today.
4: Yeah, It's yeah, very
3: hard. It's very hard. And the, the loops loops that you have to jump through and the, the cost and... The, you know, it's a it's a it's a very it's a very special thing to become an American citizen if you're an immigrant like I am. So blessed, blessed to be here. I and,
1: think more people are trying to get in than they're trying to leave. Yeah, yeah there's not too many. I mean, I, that's why I look well, at. Well,
3: I can't stand these people that are running around streets with their faces covered up and burning cars and smashing windows. What to what end are you trying to change society? Yeah, I mean,
4: this is ludicrous.
2: So. Yep, no, no question. Uh, and that's a tough one to transition out of. Yes, we're, I know. We're all passionate and yes. a little emotional about that. Oh was, yeah, no, that was that's... that was deep moments. Thank you, Johan. Yes,
1: thanks, thanks for, for yeah. going there. Uh, what about? Uh...
3: Uh, I, I just, uh, I speak, I always speak the, uh, I speak my truth. and Thank many People you. don't like it, you know, and there are people that say America sucks, Well, it doesn't suck for me. I yeah. you know it's meant everything to me. My, that's why my parents, you know, when my dad was on a farm in South Africa, all he. Uh, he had an unbelievable collection of National Geographic magazines mm. from the early 60s when they first started.
4: You he
2: had, had a, hundreds of them. You and had a the, wall of that yellow spine. Yep.
3: Yeah. yeah. The yellow magazines. And yeah. that was America for us. And, uh, you know, I would do projects out of there and I, I would read about Miami and I would read about the Orange Bowl tennis and I would read about so many things about America. And my dad always wanted to, he says, you know, if I was a young man, I would want to live in America. Interesting. And here, all all three of his sons live in America
2: now. Awesome. Yeah. So it's
3: like a sort of a premonition.
2: But oh, uh, you, you two brothers. Uh, is it Johan, George, and who's the other? And Peter. Peter, Peter Creek, okay. Yeah. Were they float as well like you? Yeah, my, my, uh, my younger
3: brother, uh, Peter, lives in uh, Springfield, uh, Tennessee, not far from Nashville.
1: Uh-huh. Right.
3: And... Uh, on a small farm there, and, uh, with his family. And then my younger brother, my youngest brother George, is a tennis director uh, or tennis
2: coach in uh, Mount Airy, North Carolina. North Carolina. Oh, that, that, uh, that's the brother I've I've oh, heard of because right, he's yeah. in, he's a tennis guy. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So, th-
1: so this is got to be an interesting question. Uh oh. All right. Who are the four people you'd invite to dinner, or maybe more? Four people f- for a party, dinner party. You're going to have them sit down, four or five. Eight people. It doesn't matter. You, yeah. you get you get the uh, invite list. Who, who are you inviting? Because this has got to be pretty good. I mean, it's a big table.
2: He's a it's South a African table. guy. That's right. Yeah, yeah.
1: You're gonna have a big uh, barbecue. Yeah, big braai.
2: Big braai. Four people from anywhere in the world. <laughs> oh, oh uh, by the way, they can be anytime. from another era. Yeah, like deceased, oh, yeah. Uh, uh, ancient, anybody, future, whatever.
1: Tennis, non tennis, religious, non religious, yeah. political, anybody. It could be more than four. It's just who you inviting.
4: We want. <laughs> well, <laughs> South Africa has a pretty um, interesting
3: history. I mean, as as sure. as as, uh, as tough as political stuff has been in the past and stuff. But you know, South Africa has been. I would tell you definitely be a pretty interesting. Uh, I would love to have. Uh, um. I would like to see Gandhi at the table.
4: Wow!
2: Yeah. Oh, he like spent some time his. in your country. Yes. Yeah. He was also
4: imprisoned in South Africa. Yeah. How about Winston Churchill? They
3: bombed his train when he was a soldier for the British Army in South Africa during the First Boer War. He was a yeah. young 20-year-old year or something. And he ended up in a, in a prison in South Africa during the Boer War and then he escaped.
2: What was and that, like 1890? Or
3: 1890?
2: Yeah. yeah. Winnie yeah. Churchill.
3: So, uh, I would say Gandhi, Winston Churchill. Um, I think Nelson Mandela would be a very interesting.
1: I was was wondering if you're going to say him. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Yeah. And um, Ronald
3: Reagan. He was one of my favorite
1: people. Who's that? Say again.
2: President Reagan.
3: Reagan.
1: Oh, President Reagan. Ronald Reagan. Yes. Yes, that'd be yeah. All political, all leaders of uh, heads of state, kind of.
2: This guy's not just uh, an athlete, huh? He's a deep thinker. Yeah, this guy's special.
4: Yeah.
1: Uh. Any Anybody else? (laughs) Would you Would you invite Trump and then uh, uh, Barack Obama with him? Oh, that would be a combo.
4: (laughs) (laughs)
3: actually i would love to be in a political discussion with um yeah i think john f kennedy would be very interesting i
1: think that'd be yeah Um, definitely
3: how about george washington i mean my goodness yes talk about talk about early days of this republic and um and uh yeah i think um yeah it'd be a pretty interesting conversation with john f kennedy and uh Barack Obama and Trump and Reagan in the same room.
1: Yeah, all the presidents. All yeah, you know, that, that could be fun. You know, Lincoln also yeah. too with the Civil War and all. Yeah, all yeah
3: that oh of God. This, yeah, I mean all of those. I mean, uh, there's so many interesting people. Honestly, I mean, yeah. Lee Iacocca. I would love to sit and talk to so, him. how yeah. uh, yeah. yeah. no American business can be turned around and what he did. Yes, he yeah. was an icon. Oh and, my goodness. Uh, Ross Perot, another yep. guy.
2: Yep. It yep. uh, happens uh-huh. happens to be from Dallas
1: yeah, Texas. Texas yeah he just passed yeah. away recently yeah recently yeah he, he was, he'd be a, i think he had a, he had a good chance to be in
3: Thomas Edison and maybe Alexander Graham Bell and yep. a couple of Mr. Edison
2: yeah all
3: d- these super inventors and Elon Musk
2: oh what the, about uh the, the original Tesla oh yeah. yeah. nick yeah. tesla, nick tesla. Yeah. yeah nobody
3: yeah. ever knew about this poor guy and and yeah. it's only lately that we got to honor this guy's absolute genius
2: yeah
1: Oh. Yeah, he was the one that really set the, the a battery type car powered car in uh, in motion.
2: Also, he, he was he was Mister Electron. He was incredible. Also, he and Djokovic looked a lot alike, don't they?
1: Yeah, yeah. Have you ever seen <laughs> like if, if
2: we let let Novak grow a mustache, it's been maybe shrink three <laughs> inches. It's Nick Tesla. There he is. It's right the there. same face, yeah. man. Same guy. <laughs> Slap a lacoste on uh, on Tesla. He looks like Joker, man. He'd be, he'd be walking around. <laughs> yeah.
1: Exactly. That's too funny. <laughs> All right. East Coast, West Coast. Are you East Coast guy or West Coast guy? Man. I've lived
4: uh, west coast of Florida a little bit for a few years mm-hmm. but uh, east coast um, you know I mean I go to
3: California I absolutely love California yeah, I yeah. don't like their politics and their yeah. politicians but I absolutely love California and uh, yeah,
1: yeah, just the yeah it's very
3: much San Diego is very much weather yep. like Pretoria or Southern, you know South right. African weather is very much like San Diego area Southern California temperate um, oh, I mean I could live in California too I mean it's one of yeah. the most beautiful places on the planet I mean the, sure. you can you could be uh, playing and surfing in the water and, and the ocean, and then you can mm. be skiing that afternoon. I mean, go it's to the just hills. incredible.
1: Yeah, it's remarkable. Mountains or beach? Are you a mountain guy or beach guy?
3: No, I'm, I'm sorry, man. If, 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 when I... Well, I'll tell you what. When I retire, I will not buy a condo. I will buy a Winnebago, a big-ass Winnebago. You're going
2: to travel. Oh, man. Yeah.
3: I will drive everywhere. You're not going to commit to go... Yucatan, I will drive through Canada, I'll drive to Alaska, oh. I just want to see this place. You're going to be John yeah. Madden?
1: You're going to be John and and Maybe the I'll country.
3: drive Australia and maybe go to New Zealand. And uh, yeah, I'd like to go to Russia too. I'd yeah. like to see China. Um, yeah, that did, would be kind of interesting. You I'd like Tennessee? to drive. I mean, I used to drive, uh, I'm a car guy. Huh. And uh, I would, for 15, 16 years when I was on a pro tour, I would drive from Naples to Canada every summer. And play tournaments and have sort of an adventure with cars.
1: Awesome. Did you ever play over in China?
3: No, I, there were no tournaments back when we
2: it, were At that sorry. time, no Beijing, no, no. none of that. Moscow, but not no. uh, not Red yeah, China. Yeah, we
3: had Moscow. Mm, yeah, we had... They were tournaments, but, you know, we were not allowed to play there. I mean, there was the communist bloc and, yep. you know, there was all sorts of weird stuff going on. Yeah. sure. So uh, we never played there, but uh, I did play on a senior tour. I went to Moscow. Oh, yeah.
4: Right.
1: So, uh, favorite season, do you like summer, fall, winter, spring? What kind of what kind of season do you like?
3: No, I'm a fall guy. I think fall, fall, is, right now. fall is the
1: best. Really? Okay. That's how I how I, I thought you might have been a spring guy or summer. You know, being Because South Africa, you're mostly, pretty much spring, summer down there all the time, aren't you? Well, opposite now, seasons. No, after but...
3: I experienced Vermont uh, fall with the colors and the leaves changing, it's just absolutely the most spectacular time of the year, in my opinion. I mean, I like spring, too, but... Uh, summers are brutal in Florida. It's still a nice place. But yeah. now if I retire, I will probably live in some little beach hut somewhere on the ocean and fish for redfish or hawk snapper. Or- Mangrove snapper. Or
4: something. Uh, you, and,
1: you, you and Jimmy Johnson. You know, you know the cowboy, Dallas Cowboy coach. He's a fisherman. That's yeah, a, he's, that's all. He has that uh, three rings. I think is the name of his boat out of Miami. So you, you and Jimmy can go fishing. Three rings. Yeah, cause, cause I think he's <laughs> I like got
2: Jimmy Buffett to get me seaplanes. Jimmy,
1: the other ah, Jimmy. Have you seen Jimmy? Have you seen Buffett in concert? Have Are you? Are you a, a parrot
4: head?
3: Uh, Yeah, I I would say I'm a little bit of a parrot head. I mean, I like to listen to Jimmy. In fact, he played at NACRA Cup a couple of years ago. He was was a participant. He's actually a good tennis player. Is he decent? Yeah? Yeah, he's pretty
1: decent. Is he one of the better celebrities? Who's the best celebrity player? I'm just going spitballing right now, firing it off. Who's the best uh, celebrity person that, that you played with right now? Wow.
3: Best celebrity player. Um
2: because There's got to be a couple that are pretty decent. I mean, there was
3: a picture. There was a picture for the Boston Red Sox. What was
2: his name? Was it Roger Clemens? No, no, not the Rocket. I thought Paul O'Neill. Oh, Paul O'Neill used to play for
1: the Yankees. Yankees
3: third. Uh, third he baseman. was an
1: outfielder. Paul O'Neill. Oh, oh, you know, it. Uh,
3: you know, he's a really good tennis player. Is. As uh,
1: Kutcher, the golfer. Oh, oh, really? Wow. Matt oh really,
3: Matt Kutcher? Really? Yeah, Matt yeah. Kutcher. Kucher. He's. Uh, I mean, he's a really tall guy. He's like six yeah. foot four, or
2: five, or whatever. Yeah. And uh, he's. I mean, no, he, he he's a five, five I mean, he can oh, play. Oh, really? He's a <laughs> very oh, good player. Yeah. Jeez, he's he's really good player. Yeah. You know who was yeah. his agent? Was Jonathan Albrecht, our friend? Who John was Albrecht. John all Johnny was his agent, and John was our babala rep. Yes. Yeah. No way.
1: Years yeah. back, yeah. John Albright yeah.
2: was Matt Kuchers That's it. Really, I yeah. didn't realize that. Yeah,
1: yeah. Unfortunately, he passed away a number yeah. of years ago. He was a great guy. Everybody liked John. He was. Yeah. He was always so positive.
2: Sweet guy, yeah.
1: But uh, all right. So favorite holiday. What? What's your favorite holiday? It could be American, South African. Yeah. You know. What, what's your favorite holiday? like Halloween? You know, it's coming up right around the corner. You like Thanksgiving, Christmas. You know, Fourth of July. You know, I a couple of years ago. Um, well, I
3: mean. Yeah, I would say, I would say 4th of July is for me the best. What a patriot I mean, the, oh, my, yeah, what an American. Holiday. But if you ask me what, where I would like to go on holiday, there is yeah. nothing better, in my opinion. There is absolutely nothing, because I grew up there, there is nothing more spectacular than see the morning sunrise in the bushveld in South Africa. And you don't know if you're going to make it through the day because something wow. can attack you. Wow. Um, Interesting. But uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the lion <laughs> might be coming by, I'm strolling by. Same, right? I mean, we're
4: all chicken shits. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we all sit in these Land rivers,
3: and you get up at five in the morning, you have your coffee and your Rusks, your South African rusks. you all dump right. in your coffee and, and then you go on these game drives and then you come back four hours later at around nine o'clock for breakfast and You've seen the Big Four, and you've made. Oh, it's just. I mean, to me, that is. There's just nothing. You never, ever get old uh, or get tired of it.
2: I, You're in Big Four. I, uh... I
3: can't wait. I can't wait to go back. Kevin Curran lives in Durban. He goes to these places all the time. Uh-huh. There's so many incredible places in South Africa right now for game, game, you know, game drives and game visits and photos of and stuff like that. I mean, some of my friends where I grew up. Have converted all of their farms into game farms
4: because really? it's just
3: such, such a that I thought I was such a hick when I was there when I grew up there, but now it's a world heritage site to be part of that awesome. area. And it's funny.
2: Hey, big four you mentioned: uh, elephant, giraffe, uh, rhinoceros, and lion.
4: Yeah, buffalo.
2: Buffalo, what a oh. buffalo! Big ah, buffalo. Yeah, big buffalo. Buffalo.
3: Buffalo. You don't want to mess with the Cape Buffalo, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> those, things, those things kill more people than great white sharks.
1: Wow. Really? I, 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 oh yeah.
3: Well, the most dangerous animal in Africa is
2: what? A snake. A
3: hippopotamus. A, a hippo. hippo. Yeah, I, I was about Not to a
2: rhinoceros, but a hippo. Yeah. No, hippos
3: kill more people. I mean, they oh. are insane. Those things. They're nasty.
1: Yeah. All right. So this this uh, going into some a couple of tennis questions here. What yeah. what was your most embarrassing? part about tennis what was the most embarrassing thing that ever happened to you in tennis embarrassing moment good question <laughs>
4: <Fun> <laughs> one. Do, you, do, you
1: have, do you have a funny one?
3: Oh my god there's quite a few uh, <laughs> uh, one time uh, the, the company sent me some socks i think it was uh Alessa? when so yeah when thorlo socks came out I thought, jeez, they are so comfortable, but they're so thick. Yeah. So uh, it was very cold in Brussels in the wintertime playing indoors. So I had these super low-profile Lotto shoes, and uh, I put two pairs of these Thorlo socks on. And, um, two ha- and you were, were six. size bigger shoe. Yeah, and you, you were so. like
2: six foot one.
3: Yeah, I, I was really, I was pushing five, nine and a half. And uh, so I, I, I was serving volley, indoors, fast courts. And uh, I hadn't tried out my two pairs of socks yet. I just thought, oh, it's so cold, I'm going to put these socks on. And walked out on the court. And I served and volleyed. I think I had to play Pat Cash, who was young. And I left both shoes at the baseline.
4: <laughs> my socks
3: with this. Thick, I slipped right out of them. I mean, my two pairs of shoes are saying that people were laughing hysterically because I ran out of my shoes. So it was
2: Literally. So <laughs> it's so funny, Johan. Uh, about two, three weeks ago, we had Noah Rubin, also a, a shorter guy with remarkable wheels, and it... it Two shoes has never happened. That's right. No, but for him it was one, one shoe, shoe that he broke. Right, and it was—I think it was against John Isner. <laughs> yes, a no, sort of like Cashy was a survivor, John Isner is an attacking guy too. Yeah, no, said he ran out of the shoe. Yeah, basically. Funny parallel there. Yeah. So, uh,
3: I blew out of my shoes and now I took my shoes, socks off, put new ones on and played on. But uh, now another one I played—I uh, remember I played Jimmy Connors
4: uh-huh.
3: and. I played Connors in the Payne Weber Classic in Fort Myers, Florida mm-hmm. at a tennis facility there. Near Sanibel Island is a tennis center that they built, but they now broke it down. But anyway, I'm playing Jimmy and I'm playing with the F200 Will Arosignol rackets. And they had just sent me my brand new, brand new rackets like the week prior. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> anyway, Jimmy is putting gears on me and I was kind of ticked off and I swiped at the court with my racket. And Frank Hammond was in a chair.
4: Uh the,
1: ah, the legendary Frank Hammond.
3: Hits the ground and flies up and cartwheeled over Frank Hammond. He ducks and the racket goes over. Oh, and yeah. I hit the only beautiful woman in the stands was Patty Connors. I oh. hit her in the chest with the racket. Oh, <laughs> oh my god, the I was famous,
2: so embarrassed. Famous, you know famous happened?
3: chest. Right. <laughs> what happened was the whole racket handle, the pallet, slipped off the frame when I swiped it to find out that there was a glue problem with Rosignol, and they couldn't glue the pallets. They had a problem. They didn't tell me. So I'm standing on the court with a racket handle and everything in my hand, and the racket slipped out of the pallet and cartwheeled all the way out of the courts and hit Jimmy's wife.
4: <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs>
2: you'd awesome. almost you'd almost rather hit Frank in the head,
4: right? <laughs> <Yeah. I> know. <laughs> Oh <laughs> right. um, uh, yeah, no,
3: it's uh, yeah. That was oh, good. and a funny story. I played. Uh, I played this guy Delattre. Remember the French guy? Oh, yeah. Ol- uh, is it
2: Olivier, oh, Olivier Delattre? An yeah. 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 So I'm making
3: a comeback in 1992. He sounded kind of a young and upcoming player, and uh, I was trying to make a comeback. I went from like 1600 in a world. In six weeks, I dropped down to 250, and then my elbow blew up again, so I couldn't continue. But oh, no. anyway, I played him in the like quarterfinals of Lyon in, indoors. Yes. And the guy is really good, and he's like, he won the 1st set 8-7-5. He's leading in the tiebreaker, and he's serving for the match 6-5 uh-huh. in a tiebreaker. And uh, indoors, and the French are going nuts, and uh, as he serves, as he hits the ball, all the lights go off.
2: <laughs> what?
3: On Matt's point.
2: No Nobody home knows cooking. where the
3: ball went. <laughs> <So> <laughs> we don't know if it's in the net or it's out or it's in. They served an ace, so I'm just standing there in pitch darkness, and then within seconds, you know, they licked, you know, the electricity sort of came back on, but it was just the uh, you know emergency stuff. So it was dimly lit in the indoor facility. So we had to wait an hour and a half to 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 they fix the electricity for the for the building. I found the problem, and then I sort of regurgitated everything, and everything fired back up. So we had to come back out. I went, took a shower, came back out, and uh, warmed up for five minutes, and the guy served an ace.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I was hoping you'd say, and I came Came back. back. It went three sets. No, it was just so freaking
3: absurd. The guy serves it on the line.
2: One ball. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, that was that it, Go shake Thank you. Olivier DeLetro. Très bien. Yeah. yeah. That's hilarious. All
1: right. Uh, favorite tournament. Favorite tournament and why? Uh, there was nothing
3: better than this. Alan King Caesar's palace
1: Oh, roster. I would have not thought that. In yes, Vegas, yes. yeah. Yes, Alan that King. Was,
3: that was unbelievable because they paid for everything. You just flew in. They picked you up. And they paid for your room. We stayed at Caesar's Palace. Ooh, I went to Commander's cool. Palace for dinner almost every night. Commanders. And
2: uh, yeah,
3: yep. it was just—I mean, it was unbelievable. And and they picked they up had the tab and all that. This, you know, they had the Roman party on Saturday night. Yeah, mm, yeah. And they had all these muscle men standing around with these—you know—leopards and tigers. And I mean, it was unbelievable. It
4: was—it wow.
3: was the best tournament. I remember really? I played one year. I had to play. Uh, I beat. I beat Arthur Ash first round, Stan Smith second round. I lost to McEnroe in the third round. If I had beaten McEnroe, I would have played Connors. If I had beaten Connors, I would have played Borg in the finals. What All a tournament! and champions. But, unbelievable
1: field. And they picked up the whole and, tab. And the
3: field—the field was a thirty-two draw. Yeah. And the last guy to get in was number twenty-eight in the world because there were four spots for qualifying.
2: Four. Okay, four guys Everybody get in.
3: Everybody played.
2: Interesting,
1: yeah, because that was that, that was. I remember watching the Alan King classic on yeah. on television. It oh, yeah. was always on. That was that was back in the heydays. I mean, Alan King. He had all the celebrities out there. He had you know everybody you can think of from the tennis world to all the actors, actresses, movies. They were all out there, kind of watching stuff.
2: Man, I miss yeah. this. Uh, first of all, Alan King with that hat. Yes, the tennis boom. Yes, and for me as a kid, you know, I was probably you know ten, twelve years old. This was when you couldn't even get a public court on a weekend. Mm-mm. Like, no. people would yeah. line their rackets up, like, okay, I'll, I'll be back in 45 minutes. Yeah. Like, play one or two sets. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's- awesome. Uh,
3: Alan King was, was a unique tournament director, and he ran that tournament unbelievably well. And, uh, you know, I, and I was lucky enough, uh, funny enough, uh, Boris Becker in 85, I won the tournament that summer, and uh, Boris didn't win that. He didn't get did further in the draw, and I think he lost second round to somebody. But I ended up beating Jimmy Arias in four sets in the finals, and they paid me eighty grand in a wheelbarrow. It literally in a wheelbarrow. And a
1: wheelbarrow. <laughs> you, beat the, <laughs> you beat the forehand. Did he ever hit a backhand?
2: A <laughs> massive forehand,
3: I of Jimmy. Could find his backhand if I shot it with a
2: halberd. <laughs> you, you'd have to hit it in, in that alley over there. You talk about but a guy. If I, that, stayed, if
3: I stayed back and rallied with him, I was in serious trouble. But I, you know, if he hit anything short, I was chipping and charging him, and I would rip and come in, or yeah. I serve him volley. But... Yeah, um, uh, Jimmy. I mean, I drove him crazy because I'm sometimes sure. he would beat me, and then I start tanking, and I would just start hitting winners, and <laughs> he just loses mind.
2: <laughs> yet, the, yet, yet another reason we need you to coach Nick, right? See, <laughs> but you can you can help people lose their mind. Yet another parallel: <laughs> opposite body types, but pretty much a similar guy. Right? Yeah. Do you, do you like to watch tennis on TV? Yeah, um,
3: it doesn't really do it justice. I like to l- watch it live. Live. And, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's fun. I mean, it's fun to watch it on TV.
1: Yeah, so. Uh, I know you won a couple of grand slams was was the Australian Open your favorite tournament I guess obviously you've won a couple of those Would you have liked to have won Wimbledon more so not not no disrespect to Australia and that's yeah. that's a great tournament or the French open is there there one that you would have liked to have won or I mean I'm sure you're, you're happy to have won the Australian a Open. a couple of them yeah, I, um, I,
3: I think you know my, my Borg semifinal in Haiti with the US Open was a real bummer because I was up two sets to love. But I was cooked, man. I had played some. I had some serious mileage on me playing. Uh, I was down five two in the fifth set tiebreaker against feedback in the quarters, and I hit five winners in like seven seconds.
2: Holy cow!
3: And I beat him seven six in the fifth, uh, seven five in the tiebreaker, and then I played Borg, and I was just absolutely adrenaline up. I mean, I was just playing out of my mind. And then uh, the wind started to blow a little bit later in the afternoon, and then he sort of woke up, and the whole thing twisted around. And mm. I think I won like three games in the last three sets. He beat oh. me one, one, and one. It just killed me. But um, you know that would have been a pretty interesting because it, I was good on the fast hard courts, and
2: yeah, it would have been I
3: had, if you, I had played Mac.
2: And Runo, yeah, would Mac have been in the final, interesting final. I bet. Who would who would you watch to play? Who
1: who would you like? Who who would you actually pay? A couple of nickels, yeah. yeah. And, B- buy a buy a ticket to go watch. Yeah, it could be former, could be current. You know, who, who who would you like? Would you like to watch the rocket? You know, uh, Don Budge. You know,
3: so that would have been interesting to see. Uh, you know, what? I always, always heard that Lou Holt was by far the best Australian player ever, and um, that would have been fun to watch him play against Rod Labor at the time was one of the best guys too. So, yeah, um, I think he would have been uh, he would have been he would have been great. Um, no, I just think, uh, you know, when a guy like Stan Vavrinko is on, he's fun to watch because... I love Stanley. You know, and, and maybe Adele Potro too because these guys could take Federer and those guys and knock oh. him off the court yeah, yeah, the the yeah. and uh, Soderling was kind of like that too yeah Soderling did
2: yeah he beat Rafa at the French that's a rare feat yeah play. I mean he's a how Roger rare that uh... somebody
3: like that would take somebody out but uh, mm. you know there were some of these crazy Italians that I would have liked to watch you know Adriano Panada was, a, yeah. was, a, was yeah. such a stylish guy and was such an icon in Italy he was kind of fun to watch because yeah. you know Um, He just swept everybody up, and the the place became crazy. And and when he played Borg and and Rome, it was it was a spectacle. I mean, it was unbelievable. But um, yeah, there was a lot of good players that
1: I'd like to watch. So um, so watching that, who would you like to have played? Who would you like to have played? You never had a chance to play somebody that
2: you didn't play, right? Right.
1: Somebody that you really kind of you know it could be a former player as well. Would you or you know, uh, or maybe you didn't play somebody on the tour that was uh, around. Could you, like I said, we were talking earlier that not everybody you played all the time. And uh-huh. would you have liked to play somebody that, uh, um, you know?
3: Yeah, I would have liked to. I was a really one of my super strengths was uh, reading somebody's big serves, So I was um, I was known to be a giant killer. So they, you know, the big servers were scared because I was I was always returning the serves and. Um, I would have liked to see Sampras serve against me. I would have just oh. liked to see how oh. good he was. Pistol P. Mac- McEnroe was good. Um, you know, um, there were some guys with big serves at the time as well, but McEnroe was pinpoint accuracy. He was sort of like a Federer, not the hardest, but very accurate. Hmm.
1: Um, Roddick, would you like to play the
3: I would have said, um, yeah, I mean, um, you know, I've watched Roddick play. I think, you know, he was just a, a, just brute strength on everything, basically. But uh, it would have be been nice to see. I mean, I still think today, in today's tennis, I think Pete Sampras had the best second serve of anyone ever on a tennis tour anywhere.
4: The best.
3: And he had an unbelievable second serve.
1: So who's your who's your favorite tennis player? Who's your favorite tennis player ever? You know, favorite tennis player now, kind of. Favorite favorite out there?
3: Man, it's hard to pick, but I, I have to say, honestly, the greatest of all time, in my opinion, is still Roger Federer.
1: Okay, yeah, the king. I call him the king.
3: I mean, this is just. I mean, you look at everything. I mean, uh, from top to bottom.
4: Yeah.
3: Yeah. He may have uh, losing record in Masters 1000s and this and that. Some of the records are going to be broken, but you know, um, I think uh, if you have to look at every single category of athletic ability, poise, um, ability to drive people to the to the tournaments, to the mm. To the tennis, to the sport, um, uh, there's nobody as a greater ambassador for the game of tennis than uh, than Roger Federer has been. Okay. Now, no, no disrespect to uh, to Rafa Nadal, who I think is a very close second.
4: Yeah, um,
3: I really like him. Um, you know, he's uh, he's uh, he's he's arguably the best record player of all time.
4: Yeah.
3: Um, but then there's this guy Djokovic, who can still break everybody's record. Uh, and is probably the best uh, aggressive runner-retriever the world has ever seen.
1: And, and, and he, he does a mean split. I can't believe that guy. So flexible. He's, oh, he's Gumby,
2: damn it. He, he is Gumby, damn it. Yeah, yeah he's <laughs> a total Gumby, for sure. <laughs> he's r- crazy, yeah.
3: Yeah, and he can beat Rogers Federer. I mean, he can beat Rodgers, uh, you know, he can... I mean, if Nadal bails out the next two years for some knee issues or whatever, um, and
4: Rogers, you know, 40 years old, <laughs> I mean, I just...
3: Uh, I mean, what do you guys think? I mean, how how is it possible that these three guys cannot be supplanted? Are they that good? The the level of or are focus. Are the rest of the gang just not that good?
1: <laughs> that's what that's why I keep wondering myself because I you know Andy's coming back now too. On on the, Andy Murray, Andy, Andy Murray's coming back, and
2: uh, you know he just won a tournament. He did. And, he beat Stan, one of my favorites, Stan, and, and yours I know, too. Was unbelievable! He won yeah. uh, was it Antwerp? Yeah, uh, Belgium. Antwerp. Yeah, Antwerp. I it was Antwerp, Belgium. Yeah,
1: and then you've got. Uh, I wish. I wish Delpo if he, his wrist would have been as messed up yeah, because four joy. When he won the U.S. Open, he just literally killed. Yeah. Them. He clocked everybody, and I thought, here's a guy that's gonna gonna
2: gonna make it. Yeah, and he, more than one Slam. He's been to one final, uh, lost to Djokovic at the U.S. Open. Obviously, he's been to a, the other final. He, he won um, over Roger in five U.S. Open. so that's been his consistently best one. I'm a fan of Dominic team and. When Johan asks, are these guys, you know, just not as good, man, you watch these guys play, and Stan does seems to do well against some of these big names, maybe not Roger. Um, Dominic, you know, he beat uh, uh, Djokovic at the French on a windy day, but you watch the tools on some of these guys, and they've got it. Well,
1: he beat the giant Diego Schwartzman. That's right, in Vienna in his yesterday, own, <laughs> home,
2: home tournament, yeah. first time
1: ever. He's won in Vienna. Unbelievable. Yeah, that was. I don't know if you all watched it. Yeah, I mean uh,
2: Dominic lost the first set. Yes. And then this stuff was just clicking, and his massive serve and all that. He's he's an entertaining guy for me to watch. I enjoy yeah. that guy. Yeah. No,
3: uh, Dominic team is a very good player, but you know, I was picking. Uh... I was picking Tsitsipas to be the first guy out of oh. this young crop to win a major, but I have to say I think that Medvedev is going to pass them all.
2: What is so good about Medvedev? And, yes, that dude is... Yeah, oh, uh,
3: he, he is a chameleon. He yeah, just And it's because of his mindset, you know? Look, I,
2: I have to mindset. say, I, mean,
3: I thoroughly enjoyed him playing Nadal in the finals of the US a yes,
2: it was a blast. Yes, that was
1: a great match. I yeah. tell you what, I mean, he was so absolutely out of the match. And to
3: come back and literally pushed Nadal to the last he second. Did. I mean, Nadal was
2: cooked. He was done. He was, and he was that last game, he
3: was just praying to God he was not going to
2: double fault. He ball. was. It reminded me of uh, the 0-2 final where Pete beat Andre in his last slam. It was four sets, but if it had gone five, maybe Andre takes it. I felt like the, yeah. f- the format yeah. in this U.S. Open final was four out of seven. Danny wins it
3: yeah yeah um, i do no, medvedev is a, is one tough cookie and he's a yeah. uh, he's unorthodox looking but he's a very dangerous guy this and I
2: think uh it's because this, people,
3: honest, he's, he's a cool guy i like him a lot he's
2: hilarious yeah
3: yeah yeah and he's you know he had this fight with uh who was it um he had a bit of fight with the new york crowd but yeah you
2: know, i think yeah.
3: it's just immaturity and he's sort of cocky and he sort of thinks it's funny and he, People he, took him the wrong way. I mean, I think he's a good guy. And then it's he he a, made a, a comeback. A I mean, the guy's kind of, one unbelievable tennis player. He's he's yeah, got I, some I think, improv I skills. Right. Yeah. I think I think he's the the
1: giant looming out there on the yeah. on the horizon for for the big three or four. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
2: You, you mentioned oh, Stefanos. He's got this funny fire and ice thing with Stefanos too. Like they they're both. I guess Stefanos is half Russian, and called Daniel. A uh, uh, bullshit Russian, you know. He called him that to his face. Oh, really? Come and they've the had words. Russian? They've had words, and he says things like, "Yeah, Daniel. Yeah, his game is pretty boring, if you ask me. He can and put I'm you like, to sleep. This is, bit- is going to be.
4: <laughs> this is going to be the <laughs>
2: thing, thing kind that kind
3: of like how mature, Ms. mature that's, to. It. that's it. The big that's cat he was yeah. mesmerizing. He was like a bloody octopus, and then he just snagged you. You know, and yeah.
2: smooth and tall, and he, he like, how did he get to that? Yeah, no, I mean, the was love
3: were guys that are like that mesmerizing,
4: yeah.
3: you know, weird, you don't know why the hell is he so good, and then, you know, you lose to him every time, and you're like, you know, you kind of get into a trance. These guys, are,
4: I don't know, maybe they're
3: magicians. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
4: yeah.
1: <laughs> All right, last four. Right? Okay. We're in the final home stretch here. we got four more questions, real easy questions. Any superstitions or rituals? Did you have any? Were you suspicious out there on the court ever? Did you not walk on the line? Did you always look for the number three balls or something? You know, was there anything that uh, Johan Creek uh, was superstitious about?
3: Um, I never stepped on lines unless I played. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah, st- unless I, I, I don't played. I like step on lines.
2: Um, Meaning dur- on during, during the point, you step on a line, obviously. Yeah. But, no no while uh, i was playing
3: it was okay but when yeah. i walked from my chair um you know then i, I, I ah, don't like to step on lines. Right.
2: but uh can like baseball guys
3: um, superstitious um no not really i um i had uh, i always play with the same side of the racket up i mean like i hit the same side of the racket yeah, this. Ah, and i yeah. would find i would when i spin my racket like federer spins his racket yeah so, yep it's just uh i don't know it's just a rhythm thing and like, loose I don't have to pull my pants out of my ass so I just <laughs> put my rack <wrinkle. laughs> uh, so uh, I always found the grip the temperature on the grip and I would find which side was up which side was down and then I mm. would just flip it one time if it wasn't right so it was kind of weird
1: so from that standpoint we'll you did have a ritual did yeah. you kind of look
3: I had yeah I, everybody has to have rituals
2: I mean Nadal's is just a little bit he's
3: a little but, quirky uh,
2: uh, he just has. have you seen a picture he, of his uh, of his bridesmaids <laughs> I <laughs> yeah. saw that that was hilarious yeah. <laughs> they're picking their I, bums yeah. <laughs> two of them like I you said, could... I posted it and I said team players <laughs> right
1: I, I, I saw that I follow you on Instagram yeah. I saw that yeah that, that was funny <laughs> it was
3: great That's
2: yeah, funny. yeah. yeah that that was <laughs>
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, what okay. what, uh, what sport would you have would you have uh, played if it wasn't tennis? Would it be rugby? Would you have played rugby or would you uh, maybe cricket? You
3: know, after I after I started watching a bit of ice hockey, I would have loved oh. to play ice hockey ice because hockey, I, I like contact sport. Yeah. And uh yeah, that would I would have had no teeth very soon, but uh
4: um, no teeth. No, I, would have, I
3: would have loved to play ice hockey Does, I think that's a, that's a great sport
1: did they ever play ice hockey in South Africa is there an ice rink no one? we didn't even have a friggin ice rink <laughs> got one
3: Pretoria.
2: Yeah. And, and the, the follow up question would be what would Daga think of how handsome Johan is without teeth, <laughs> teeth. <laughs> without teeth yeah no it's, that
3: definitely would not go well <laughs> but uh, no it's. Uh, oh, there's so, I mean America has so many sports it's just yeah. insane yeah I mean. I've, I've, I have a lot of friends in Detroit, and I went to a whole bunch of Red Wing games. Oh, and, man. Uh, and then when I played in Chicago, they gave us a Blackhawk jacket oh, yes. with my yes. name on it. Yeah, And cool. uh, also Very the cool. Canadian uh, Toronto Maple Leafs, they gave Leaks. me a jacket with my name on it. It was kind of fun. Yeah, yeah hockey
1: great. was, yeah. That that would have been a fun sport, too. Yeah,
2: you'd be great at hockey. Oh, yeah. man, it was, it was, yeah. The agility and strength, yeah. and, and he's such a durable guy, oh, and yeah. contact I, is I welcome. can see that. Yeah. Uh, so,
1: uh if you wouldn't have been involved in sports, what would you be doing now if you weren't involved in the great game, what would you be doing right now Wow that, see so that's a good one see that we would you be running for office would you be a politician um, i um
3: you know I, I I love world politics I love to read um I seek out the bizarre and the funny and uh, I think I'm really good with people I, yeah. I I think I would have been a good politician in some fashion maybe. I think so but, um, you know, that's never going to happen. But um, now I would say that um, considering where I came from and if I wasn't a tennis player, I think I would have absolutely loved to be a game warden. Like one game wardens, super, super specialist game wardens in Southern Africa.
4: Yeah,
1: uh, interesting. Showing people around and talking about wildlife and nature and that kind of thing out there in the bush. Well, that
3: nature there is just so incredibly complex and yeah. so cool, and uh, how everything has a place and how nature plays how how nature works together in you
2: know, balance. Way. Yeah, you
3: know, you look at the acacia tree, which is a typical tree in the bushveld. This is very thorny. And how that tree needs the animal to eat it, but also you can't eat too much of it. And uh, how the, the the different types of rhinos. The, the the white rhino is a has is a flat flat lip and he eats he's a grazer, he eats grass.
4: Uh-huh, uh, Whereas the black the black rhino has a
3: prehensile lip, sort of a triangular lip, very completely different. It's a rhino but it's a, it eats uh, leaves and eats trees and be and so completely different uh, Uh, You know, foliage uh, grazer than uh, the white uh, rhino so Mm -hmm. even though it looks somewhat similar um, the white rhino is actually a little bit bigger than a black rhino Uh and uh, yeah it's just very interesting and how giraffes interact with the felt and how the elephants are uh, it's just so intricate and so cool and I, I love that stuff
1: yeah, out there on the Serengeti, right? That'd the be, plains. The oh, that's, the that's massive! Fair. Oh, yeah, that, that'd be. I'd, I'd love to go down to South Africa. I have a, yeah. a bunch of South African friends, and you know they always invite me down there. And I said, I'm going to make it down there one time. Yeah. I'm going to be. I'm to be down there and just kind of check well, out that scene. Now
2: you know the word brai. Brai, that's right. yeah, you must, "brai." You must go down to South Africa, and you must have a brai, man. Oh uh, look, <laughs> uh, he, he's going thick on the accent. I love it. <laughs>
1: All right, last question. One last question. So we, we've, we, we've taken a lot of your. Your time. Yeah. If you could wave the magic wand for for the great game, what what change or changes would you make? Is there anything that you'd like to see the great game uh, do that it's not doing, or you like it the way it is, or you you're, you've got the magic wand, you've got the, uh, the the magic dust, and you can sprinkle it any way you want to? What would you do? I would have
3: never let them build any of the rackets except wood rackets.
1: Wow! Really interesting. Okay, so limit the size of the racket. No, no, I just
3: think oh. that they, they they should have standardized rackets. Uh, and uh, I think that, uh, you know, the, the, the graphite racket made a great player unbelievably good yeah. and an average player great and a shitty player
4: good. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I, I weirdly played some of my best tennis with a mid-sized wood open throat, like that Slaz <laughs> V24, do you remember, or, or the Lecoq Sportif that oh, Yannick yeah. used that, that was a
3: that was a beautiful record that a Yannick f- never played with us
2: he served vo- Emotion uh, carried him to a Roland Garros right after you won the Australians he, 83 yes. French serving volleying yeah. in his home crowd I realize he wasn't African born but you guys have something in common there right he's got one African parent yeah, he,
3: was, he was born in the Cameroon but then he left and went to Paris when he was very
2: young gotcha. he was like Yeah, 10 years old or
3: something yeah. but uh, no, Yannick and I were the only ones that have won a major but I, I tipped him
2: you but, tipped uh, him. You got him. You got, you doubled what he did. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah,
3: yeah,
4: yeah.
3: Uh, but it would be fun to work with a guy like him and say, listen, you know, let's, uh, you know, let's let's see if that continent can do something like we did. That would be a great
4: story, wouldn't
3: it?
2: Well, y- y- Johan, you, Yannick, and Roger, with your ties to that entire oh, yeah. massive con- con- uh, continent, uh, that would be interesting. The trio. That would be a heck of a team.
3: I gotta tell you something. You know, yeah. the last couple of majors when I was at uh, Wimbledon. Uh-huh. Um, I have a friend from Denver who is a extremely smart South African investment guy. He's got 39 billionaires investing with him.
4: Oh, wow. And
3: so we, uh, some of the biggest names in the, in the history of this country, as well as foreigners that are investing with in them. But nevertheless, so uh, we decided to create something called the South African 100. And mm-hmm. we are in our third dinner somewhere in the next couple of weeks. We'll playing something but we did one at Wimbledon we did it in downtown London we went to Brooks which is this old famous club uh, hangout for the, the Glitterati and yeah. the Winston, Winston Churchill and those types of people very famous old place so we had dinner there and we had a bunch of South African expats come in and it's anyone that has moved a needle in some way whether it's finance or whether it's sport or art or poetry or anything and uh, we had this roundtable discussion about what's happening in Africa and just, you know, just to get together. And then we did another one. And we did it at Andy Warhol's loft in, 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 in Manhattan. New York City, yeah. Right. And we did it uh, there. And we had about 22 South Africans come. And one of the guys said, Johan, if, you'd know, if I'd known about this three weeks ago, we would have had 100 South Africans here. I know all these guys from manhattan wall street yeah. uh, stanford connecticut greenwich all these super wealthy guys that yeah. are doing unbelievable stuff in the world of business etc cetera, etc cetera. so uh that, that we're gonna try and put some things together that is gonna make some sense so hopefully we can get some fun things going in africa so uh, i was absolutely blown away by what some of these people are doing and what they are doing uh, you know this one guy is just you know just told me the other day you know we became really good friends now and talking all the time and yeah, these are the types of people that make the world go round. And yeah. uh, they just signed a deal to make electricity uh, viable for Zimbabwe and they're also helping South Africa. I
4: mean, it's just wow. these
3: guys are just massive, great guys that are just super good thinkers. Yeah, and they big picture. And they, just, they, they change people's lives, you know, with business.
2: Mm. I know yeah. Zim needs a little of that kind of infusion too.
3: Well... You know that whole area needs a lot of work, but uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, look. Every time uh, we think Africa is going to go down the tubes, it somehow manages to stay alive. I just know, and uh, I hope that things will turn out better than uh, the last twenty-five years. We we need we need some uh, we need some new leadership. We need some new brains. We need some new initiatives, but we have to stamp out the corruption. Yeah,
1: first and foremost,
3: yeah. Get,
2: get We've on. got some of that here too. So uh, we, yeah, it's we, everywhere,
3: you know.
4: But yeah.
3: uh, one of the people that we, we had dinner with in London is this guy, uh, former ambassador from the UK to South Africa, and this guy wrote a book on the Zuma years, the President Zuma. Uh uh-huh. yeah. And the book is called "How to Steal a Country." Oh. It's absolutely unbelievable. South Africa lost a trillion rand in the last 10 years from this corruption mm, and cronyism and uh, just absolute...
2: Johan, who, who's the author of this one, How to Steal Country?
3: Robert Rennick.
2: Rennick. Okay. Uh, yeah,
3: Robert Rennick. R-E-N-W-I-C-K. Oh, yeah, yeah, I-C-K.
2: Yeah, you should,
3: yeah you, you should get this book from Amazon. It's called yeah. uh, How to Steal a Country. and. Uh, fascinating guy and how Ramaphosa became president man <clears throat> there are some people that are pull strings that make the world go round I'm telling you this issue about the deep state it exists everywhere
1: wow interesting ok wow that's yeah I didn't know about that but now, now he's confirmed it again
2: this guy is not just an athlete there. That was awesome. Okay. Johan, you've been Thanks. such a treasure, yeah. and thank you. Yes. Uh, you're a blast, man. And uh, I'm actually serious. I'll, I'll produce some music videos and help your help your kids with the tennis videos, <laughs> though, I <can't, laughs> though I can't be close enough to hit a few with them. I'd, I'd love to you know, put some music. Maybe I'll put a Zeppelin song yeah. to Linky's serve. Right. What do you think? Scareway to heaven. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> that
2: sounds like a plan, man. That
1: would be so <laughs> yeah. fun. Yeah, I'd love well, it. We, we appreciate your time, guys. We already spent... Two hours and fifteen minutes. Oh, oh man, you're the been, best!
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. wow, two hours. My yeah. God, oh, yeah. time flew, man. Thank
1: yeah, you. Yeah, we're doing the vo- we recording it for uh, uh, also Facebook Live, and then
3: yep.
2: also on my, my phone. That uh, yeah, send me send me the link so that oh, sure. I
3: can do it on my social media and people sure. can listen to it. For Absolutely. sure. Oh yeah, put yes, it out
2: and uh, and we'll have a more professional theme song too. Yes. My version was. Uh, was crap, but uh, we've got a real singer and a real musician yep. doing the, the special one-off. We have real theme people song. doing things. We have real people doing real Producer, things. For yeah, us. <laughs> real things for us. Yeah, no. it's not just two dudes having fun on a on a mic. Yeah,
1: no, no we appreciate your time and and uh, you know, like I said, we, we spent probably way too much of your time already. Yeah, and, yeah. But been a fascinating. Just you know, you know the great game is great. It, there's just a lot of. Interesting things, cool people that you know yeah. you come in contact with. Tennis is such a small world. And, yeah, you know, South African tennis in general has been, uh, you know, the stalwarts of the uh, '60s and the '70s, mm. and even into the '80s. You know, kind yeah. of you, you were kind of the last one really through the turnstile. I mean, Wayne Ferreira was still around. You know, at, oh, at yeah, some Wayne. point, good player. And then there's kind of a bit of a drought between. Uh, Isaac Van der man. Yeah, back to Isaac. Yeah, hey, he's Kevin, that's my boy. You know, that's we're right. going
2: to have him on the show soon. Yeah. Right. But yeah, just, no, you guys going
3: to get old Kevin Anderson. Hopefully he'll get back with his knee. and, uh, and yeah, yeah. yeah. He's going to be a contender again. So, yeah, a yeah, great guy it. and a good friend. And, you know, I, I wish him the best of luck. So, I do too. No, thank, thanks for the time, guys. I really yeah. enjoyed it. And uh, anytime. Well, Cheers, Johan. We'll, Thank we'll, you. We we'll
1: look forward to having our cross past at some point. Yeah. Uh, you know, Maybe uh, we'll be down in Florida or maybe if you're in Dallas. For sure. For uh, you sure. Know, I'd love to have you over at, uh, to the club and yeah. you know, have a have a
2: beverage maybe. Oh, I'm having a bra at my house for this guy. <laughs> yeah, for sure. you got <laughs>
1: to have the beverage. you got to have the beverage. It's all about the beverage, right? <laughs> it makes the bra that much better. <laughs> <laughs> We've got it. We've
2: well, got it. Good.
1: Well, thanks all for right you, guys. Kyle. Have a great night, Don. Uh, good uh, night, buddy. Uh, thanks a lot.
2: Sleep well. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take care.
1: Alright, so gang, they're listening on the radio and, or Facebook Live and the podcast Thanks for listening to Season 1 Episode 15 of At the Net Podcast with our good friend, Johan Krieger A lot of fun